Insomniac. Please wrap it up. Please wrap it up. Fuck you, man. (laughs) Fuck you. Chaos. <laughs> Welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me is Mr. Chris Figs. Chris, how you doing? Oh, just wonderful. Wrap how it up, you, okay? <laughs> Fucking wrap it oh, up. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right, still longer than the uh, this year's Call of Duty campaign. Whoa, uh, okay. Whoa. Uh, okay, guys, listen, <laughs> Chris. Hey, Brett. I would like to. Thank you for being here with me after we uh, had to skip last week on my behalf. So everyone who was uh, missing an episode last week, of course, uh, we put it out there. But we appreciate, or at least I appreciate, Mm -hmm. uh, the time to do that work was pretty hectic. And uh, it just wasn't going to be easy, wasn't really going to be possible. So we took a little week break. We're back. Um, Thank you guys for that. If this is your first time listening to the show. We hope you stick around and enjoy what we're going to talk about today. We've got some, of course, we're going to be recapping the Game Awards that happened after we would have recorded anyway. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Grand Theft Auto 6 and its choice to skip the Game Awards, uh, as well as some stuff in relation to Resident Evil, uh, whether or not Marvel's Blade is or is not exclusive, uh, and, of course, some stuff going down in Insomniac servers that is a little <laughs> unfortunate. But before we get there, we're going to... Uh, start to show off in a pretty time-honored traditional way of checking in on what each of us have been playing so that we can hopefully shed uh, some light on something that either one of us, each other, have not played or maybe give you an idea for something that you might want to play. So, Chris, I'm going to pass off to you uh, as our first person there, and let's uh, give me the rundown on what you've been playing this week or the past two weeks, if you want. Oh, God, the past two weeks. Um, I think, honestly, it's been the same game. So, so. many games. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Um, I've played, I mean, over the past two weeks, I've played a decent amount of stuff because I did take advantage of that $350 Xbox deal, so I have access to Game Pass. And I've mm. played um, a little bit of Halo. That's been Halo's, Halo Infinite's still fun. Um, but the one I was really interested in that I don't know how I feel about is Jassant. I don't know if you've seen that, Brett. It's the uh, I think it's Don't Nod. I'm like 75% sure it's Don't Nod. Um, Is it the climbing game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't remember the, how you actually spelled it, but I remember. J-U-S-A-N-T. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I've been trying it out. I'm not terribly sure I'm going to go back to it, but it looks really pretty. Um, I like the atmosphere of it. but Dude, Don't Nod is just releasing so much stuff it's like they have so many games in the mm-hmm. pipeline and you know i haven't really paid much attention to it but they have to have just multiple teams i don't you see so. how they would keep up with it if they didn't because they're the ones behind uh banishers uh ghost of new eden yeah uh, of course good. they just came out with uh Jusant. i think that they did uh harmony the fall of reverie Mm-hmm. There is those two games they put out, which I guess it's been a big gap since 2020 and this year. So I'll give them that. But in 2020, they put out the uh, um, what was the one they did for Xbox? Tell me why or something to that degree. Oh, okay. and then there was that one that kind of looked like <laughs> the logo reminded me of like Quantum Break. I think it was called like Twin Mirror. Um, okay, yeah, I, I know. I think that, that was Bandai it. Namco or something like that. I can't remember who Maybe. the publisher was. Yeah, they're on a tear, um, and Banishers looks awesome. Banishers looks awesome. Yeah, I agree. And then, and then I think they have that um, that Lost Records game coming after that. So, I mean, like, 2024 is already looking pretty stacked for them, too. Right. And didn't they... 
we'll talk about it later in the show when we get to the main topic of the Game Awards. Mm-hmm. But didn't they announce a Life is Strange game at the Game Awards? Did I did I make that up? Yeah, they did not. <laughs> oh, heard. Okay. Yeah. Maybe an oh, there was something there that was like high school kids and maybe <clears throat> yeah, drums. It's that, it's it's that Lost Records. It, it's so it it's is the one, them, but it's not. It's Life the is one Strange. that is. Uh, it, it's the one that's clearly. Uh, being influenced by yeah. it, it's got that art style that like. Well, and it's it's got the twenty seven year gap. Yeah. So That's, you know where they're kids, some stuff happens, and then twenty seven years later they're like, "Guys, it's been twenty seven years. It's back." <laughs> is it gonna is it gonna be like One Piece, where after that time skip, every character has gigantic tits for no reason? <laughs> Maybe I don't really. I, I'm curious as to what type of game that's gonna be. It, um, it gave it. It reminded me enough of Life is Strange that I would bet it's in that same vein. I would imagine so too. And I think it's smart because one of the things that I think Don't Nod has been doing for a long time is they have really done a great job kind of balancing between the action games that they started with, like Remember Me, Mm -hmm. which is a really fun game, uh, and then kind of letting themselves have a different genre style with things like Life is Strange and uh, Life is Strange 2. And then, of course, something like Twin Mirror and Tell Me Why, which are both more that style. And now they're coming back around like they did with Vampire to the more action RPG style setup like they're doing you know, with Banishers. Um, <coughs> so I think it's smart to do that mm. because you run the risk whenever you're a single dev uh, and Hopefully it is that they have multiple teams. It definitely seems that way. But what I'd say is um, when you're a single studio and you don't really have an owner, which they don't, they're still an independent studio, um, I think you run into this situation where you run the risk of one game that doesn't land with an audience sinking you. So the more that you can have each game releasing kind of catering to two different audiences, the better chance that you have at surviving and one game not ruining you because you already have another game in the works that's probably going to fit the style that another audience is going to like. And then you get those games like Life is Strange, which seem to do really well for them. And then I think that that gives them the capital needed to be a little more daring and be like, all right, now we're going to go and try and push for something like Banishers. Now, of course, Banishers is being done by Focus. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think Tell Me Why was actually Xbox Game Studios. And if I'm and if Twin Mirror was Bandai Namco or whatever it is, Namco Bandai. Twin Mirror I think was whichever. published by Don't Nod. Oh, it was. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. If it was self-published and crazy, that's good for them. But again, the, whenever you're doing something like that where you have Square and, and Xbox and Focus behind you, you're not taking as many risks as a as an independent publisher or as an independent developer, rather. But uh, continue. We, Didn't mean to derail too much. No, you're good. I just think something kind of interesting about Don't Nod is that I kind of feel like at this point you can tell what type of game they're making by the art style. You know, Life is Strange, this new one, all have very similar art styles. And then their RPGs like Vampire, Banishers, um, even the one you were just mentioning, Tell Me Why, or Twin Mirrors, all have a more realistic third-person kind of thing. And Remember Me also. You know, it's older, but it is stylized the same way. So yeah, it's funny. You can kind of look at what you're like, oh, that's Don't Nod's episodic art style so we're getting life is strange three you know you could probably guess that so i think that's kind of <laughs> yeah so what else have you been playing um uh i think on xbox it's just just that and then it was popping into stuff like gears and forza motorsport um uh sea of thieves by the way play some sea of thieves um 
And then oh, I think so you said Forza Motorsport. How did you yeah. like it as a as opposed to uh, GT Seven? I know you've played both of them, so I'm just curious. I played how both it, of them. How it kind of lined up for you? I'm not the best person to ask because racing games for me are like car cool, go fast. You know, mm, like sure, I don't sure. I don't do the in cockpit view. I like can't do it. Um, <laughs> so it's the same same fair. reason I can't do GTA or Red Dead in first person. It just feels wrong. I want to sure. see my car. Um, so, I mean, it's cool, but it doesn't, you know, I didn't play it for very long. Um, but yeah, and then the last one on there was State of Decay. I played a little bit of because I've played a lot of State of Decay in my life. Fantastic game. But the big ones for this week, God, I have played a lot of games. Big one for this week is really Grand Theft Auto 4, which I got. Mm. I am now very deep into Grand Theft Auto 4. I guess very deep so, is a stretch. I'm like 10 hours in. Well, look, here's the the bold move that I think you took with doing that route. <laughs> oh, boy. You, you've kind of already stated that you're basically seeding ground for this year's trophy competition, which is fine. Yeah. I understand you're getting into a very big game, but you're saying you're starting the next year with big things. But here's like you're already earning trophies for Grand Theft Auto 4 that are not going to count towards next calendar year. So wouldn't it have been smarter to wait? <laughs> to <laughs> yes, but I didn't. I didn't plan for this. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it's I should have natural yeah, happenings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be one of those like, eh, well, I have this, you know, because for me at this point, I one thing I've noticed is that I care less about trophies. Sure. Recently, but I also want to get good ones, you know? Sure. Like I'm at that point where like I want Baldur's Gate because to me that that impresses me, you know, sure. and I want GTA four because that would impress me. And it's one of those things where I remember as like a 18-year-old kid getting on the same website I'm on now and setting up boost sessions for this exact trophy that I'm working on. So it's like it's almost like, you know, a, if I could go back in time and talk to my younger self and he asks me, "Did we platinum Grand Theft Auto 4?" I can say yes. You know? I can fulfill his dream. So this is a fresh start because this is the first time you're playing it on PlayStation on your new account since your last one. Okay, that's what I thought. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'd almost be curious to see where I'm at on that account. I almost don't want to. But yeah, um, Grand Theft Auto 4. So did GTA 4 come about as a being hype for Grand Theft Auto 6? Is that kind of just, or was it just something that was already kind of like in your purview of like, I may get to that soon? You know, the I think the story of how I started playing it is actually a lot dumber than any of that. Um, <laughs> okay. I was downstairs and I was playing Baldur's Gate and my brother had come over. And I'm like, I'm going to throw on something he knows. And I was like, well, I have GTA 5 on here. No, I decided we're going GTA 4. And then I haven't stopped playing GTA 4 since that day, like three days ago. So that's how it happened. I just nice. put it in. Yeah. I've been looking for something to play on PS3 though, because it's it's been getting a little dry. Like at this point, it's like I'm just building the collection, which I love doing. I'm happy to have it, but I did want to play it, so I'm glad sure. I got into something. Yeah, I've been debating going back and looking at some of the games I wish I would have platinumed during the PS3 time when I was kind of, you know, I didn't get really. I was into trophies really early PS3, uh, and that's when I got my first platinums, and then I kind of just slowed down considerably. Uh, and I didn't really get into them again until um, 
<coughs> maybe 2016. So it was a pretty long gap to where I wasn't really worried about platinum in games. I, yeah. you know, I'd get whatever trophies I, I could, but I wasn't really worried about platinum them. So I've thought about going back to PS3 and kind of looking at some of my like lists and being like, what are games that I really love that I could reasonably go towards a platinum on? Um, I haven't done that yet, but it's you know it, it may be what I do because I did that with Vita this year, right? That was like part of my trophy competition plan. Was like, all right, we're also going to go back and get platinums. I've been wi- been meaning to get on Vita, uh, and so do that as well and add to uh, add to my list of games where you know I'm not going to act like every single platinum I got this year was like, um, you know, like oh look at this great yeah. achievement. Yeah, uh, it, exactly. That's not what I was going for, but I can pretty clearly say that I didn't play a single game this year that I was just like, the only reason I'm playing this is for the trophy. So it was, you know, any, you know how I am. I will yeah. bounce out of a game quick. If it's, if, <clears throat> if it's not speaking to me, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> hey, I'm the same way. <laughs> so, um, I will back out. And I, I think what's funny is that even though some people giving them crap, I'm not going to, I think every, a few of the Platinums I've gotten this year are from easier Platinum games. But I think that the games that you play to go about getting them are often better for a, a handful, a select handful of these games and people give them credit for. So there's that. I mean, you know, when I was just into playing my Vita, it's like Vita has a lot of smaller games that are easier to Platinum by nature of its form factor. So that's kind of what happened. Because even games that are harder to platinum on Vita were still fairly quick. And it's like Tearaway, great game. I think it took me 10 hours to platinum, maybe 12. That's pretty quick. Yeah, that's not bad so, at all. Yeah, and then you have things like Sly Cooper 1, I think took me like eight hours to beat in platinum. and But it's pretty much beat the game <laughs> and go back and open a few uh, safes. So, um, well, that's cool. I noticed uh, that you have on your list something you didn't bring up yet. The finals, uh-huh. and I never heard of it until the game awards, and I was confused because the way they were saying it sounded like the finals in terms of like a competition, and yeah. I was like, okay, but the finals for what? And they're like, no, that's <laughs> that's the game. That's the game. Um, so fill me in. Clearly, it looks like an arena shooter style thing. Yeah, Is that fairly accurate. Okay, here's the problem with the finals. Um, I don't know. <laughs> what a name, too, right? That's awful. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't tell me anything. Like, it's a cool concept. The game looks good. Um, but I don't know my goal, right? Because you go into this match, and it's like, whoever gets the most money wins, bro. And then it, like, lets you out. And you just – it doesn't have, like – objective markers on the screen as far as i can tell it doesn't point me in a direction so basically i spent my time playing this game just running forward till i find someone maybe killing them and then just doing that over and over again it's not not fun but i'm definitely not helping anybody on my team fair enough (laughs) so um yeah, so the thing about the finals is the announcers are AI, and it's really weird. So I know we've kind of, a few weeks back, you know, we bounced around AI for a couple of different episodes and different things going on. But 
I thought it interesting that in all the AI conversations I've heard, I don't think I've heard anyone bring up, I, I'm assuming this game, The Finals, has been out for a while. Is that correct? Yeah, it's been in beta for a while. Okay. So I'm assuming that these AI <laughs> announcers have probably been in the game for... The whole time, yeah. Okay, that's what I figured. And I haven't really heard anyone bring this up. So with what, you know, with your kind of gut on what we've talked about with AI, how do you feel about using AI for something that's as achievable as voice work? Um, it's up and down. I don't know that I necessarily care. I think this instance specifically is that if anyone has played Slugfest 03, it sounds like Tim Kitzrow. To the, and, and like, I know because I showed you a clip trying to like comparing them before the show just so you sure. had some baseline of where I was at. But like for me as someone who spent their youth playing Slugfest 03, I thought when I saw that when I played it for the first time, I thought that they had gotten him to do the voice. Like I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's Tim Kitzrow. Like that's really dope. And then I saw on X or Twitter or whatever that it was all AI. So to me, that was where I was like, that feels weird. That like your AI model sounds enough like him and has the mannerisms of him in Slugfest in the finals. And that 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 was where I was like, this might be a little bit of a bridge too far. Yeah, I was thinking about it because I don't know enough about the world of the finals, but I was actually going through just like the mental exercise in my head like, would AI voiceover work in a game that subject matter is in is about AI? Like it's where it's in world. How's that? Like what is that? Like if in world it's about AI and a world that's being overtaken by it and you choose to use AI voice work to highlight that. Uh, I guess it's like a really weird version of how I talk about back in the day a lot of games and still to this day to some degree, a lot of games are, um, they lean into the... Uh, constraints that they have. So they go, okay, well, we can't, like, bef- when graphics weren't able to be good enough, it's like, well, we're going to lean into that and we're going to try and make something that works with that. But sometimes it's like, well, we don't have enough budget. So we're going to lean into that. We're going to make something that plays well with a low budget so that we can, so that it looks purposeful and it doesn't look like we swung and missed because we didn't have enough money or that we swung and didn't swing well enough. Um, so I think of like a developer being there and being like, all right, this is my first game. I don't really have a great amount of money to do voice work, but I like the idea of voice work being in the game. But what if I make the game about AI and I use that as a crutch for why there's AI voice acting in the game to begin with? And then it starts to be like, oh, well, you're just using a tool. But I think well, where the, where it can get muddy is exactly what you're talking about, where it's like, okay, Great. Let's just say that inherently using AI voice work is something that you can get around some way, right? Like mm. in that you're using it in stories, so there's a good reason for it. All right. Whose voice are you using? Right. And I think that that's where it starts to get weird is, uh, you know, I think as a developer for himself, you go into that thing like, okay, well, is it okay for him to use his voice, program an AI to just use his voice? And what if he does voice acting? What if he just creates a few different voices and AI trains something on them and then uses the AI things to go out and write that to make it easier on him uh, for better quality control since he may not have professional studio style stuff? And then what does that look like? And then you start to go, okay, well, if that's okay because he's using his own voice, is it okay that someone might be like, well, he's taking work away from other actors? Well, it's just like there's so many layers. Go ahead. I think the last (laughs) point you made is 
a ridiculous point. I know, and the, but the, and I'm not saying that's you because somebody would say that, like, oh, he he used AI and got rid of a talent, someone who could have done this role. And I, mm-hmm. you know, if you know, if I was making a game in my basement and put by myself, and I decided, hey, I'm going to use AI, no one's telling me I did something wrong, you know, and especially if it's my voice. Um, I don't know. I think the thing with what you're saying is that to what end, right? Because, okay, sure. You're putting an AI voice in there, but how is that any different than GLaDOS or GLaDOS? I don't know why I said it that way. You know, GLaDOS is supposed to be an AI, but if you told me, she does have a voice actor though. That's the interesting part. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. She's an AI voiced by a real person because mm-hmm. they're voice actors, right? But that's but also you, because AI voice work didn't exist back then. I honestly wonder if it had, would Portal have bothered getting a voice actor? I mean that quite literally. I think yes, because, Probably. you know, the thing is for me, in the scenario you're talking about, if the character that's AI was literally AI, you know, at least AI enough where it's coming up with its own lines on the fly and it's it knows the parameters of the story it's in and it knows where you're supposed to go, but it can react to how you did on missions or, hey, you missed a couple guys instead of killing, uh, emptying out the whole level. Yeah, you know, that see, kind then of it stuff. has a utility outside of normal utility because right. you can't get that with voice work. It's just impossible. And that's where I would be like, that's a cool use of AI. But I think the way you described it is not something you could get away with in a big studio. Oh, big this studio was, for sure. If this was one person doing it, I think you could get away with anything. I think there's an argument that you could get away with, hey, I'm I'm let's say you were I the game I was talking about, I used AI voices in and I was like, this is going into early access. It's done, but I'm putting it in early access because I don't have voice work. When I can hire voice actors all of these lines will be re-recorded. I think at that point, you're fine. You know, maybe I'm being a little hypocritical on the topic because I just I don't think it will ever be allowed to proliferate that way. Because by the time you're you're getting to a point where it's like, okay, I have to, we have to pay these people, or you've made you're you're going to stay on Twitter. You've made enough money. Why are there still fit? You know, can't you pay real actors now? It's it's never, it's never going to be accepted no matter how. And that's where I I feel it is. I find that to be so weird. I want to move off of this. I don't want to spend all time on it, but um, I find that interesting because I think that effectively, and and I know that you can boil this down in so many other ways, but an effect of how it goes down from a, it's stealing work from someone that could make it, I feel like there's not a huge difference between using an AI voice if you're doing this on a small scale by yourself or maybe a very small team and having it be where like you go to a couple of your friends as a game developer like, dude, I really need voice work, but I can't afford to pay anybody. Like, would you just be down to come in and like record some free lines for me? And they go, yeah, because then you're not paying them either. You're not hiring someone who's professional and that is their job anyway. And at what point, like I understand it's still a person. They could use that to springboard, uh, springboard off a voice acting career, blah, blah, blah. But point being is that in effect at that base level, it's very similar. It's, it's it's unpaid work that's being handled by somebody as a means to more budgetly get your product out of the window. You know, it's kind of like how back in the day, like in the early nineties and arguably your 
you're making money for the game, so you're getting paid for it. But it's like why Sam Lake is the face of Max Payne. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you use what the fuck you have. Like, you know, the, a lot of old PS1 games that when they were, when voice acting was still relatively new was just the devs. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I, so. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just think the fact that it's AI will never be accepted. Yeah. But speaking I, I, it's, of a, a, it's an interesting thing, but go ahead. Speaking of, AI-ish, we've both been playing a game that you have far more experience in than me, but we have both played RoboCop Rogue City this week. Dude, I'm, I, I want to look the developer up because I really want to shout them. It's uh, Nacom, I, And right? I want to make sure. Well, Nacom's, I think, who published it, but the actual developer for it, um, hold on. Rogue City. It's the same developer that did um, the Resistance um, or sorry, Terminator Resistance game, which was excellent. The developer is Taeon. And here's the thing. Taeon are not this developer who just, almost all of their games are, are they did a Rambo game in 2014. Like almost all of them are video, are, uh, are like movie IP tie-ins. And they're usually cheaper. Like RoboCop is 60 when games are usually 70. Uh, Terminator was 50 when games were usually 60. So they're budgeted. Uh, they're not super long, but I think they're well-rounded, well-made games that it, if you're a fan of those worlds and that IP, they treat in a pretty well way. They do a good job of, you know, kind of, uh, transitioning to the different medium and there's a lot of respect for the ip in there and they just make well-rounded games like yeah don't go into robocop or terminator expecting like triple level triple a level voice acting and you know animation lip syncing any of that but if you just want a fun game that's well designed maybe has a few rough edges both of these games are a great time. They're games I would tell anyone to try and play, but I would never act as if they're the best games you've ever played, nor would I say that that's what the developers were going for. They're just wanting to make a well-rounded game in those worlds. Um, I got the Platinum in it last night, and it was a super fun time. Yeah. So, just like Resistance, or mm. Terminator Resistance. I mean, that game was a really fun Platinum. Uh, I got the Platinum... <clears throat> I was back into getting Platinums, but I wasn't like super worried about the time. And I just got it because I was like, this game is fun. I just yeah. want to keep playing it. And you game. know, what's funny is you don't have to do everything in RoboCop to get the Platinum, but I did everything I could find because I just was like, this is fun. This is cool. What I really like about RoboCop is that it's got these, uh, I'm going to, it, just to be real, it's, they do change your potential outcomes, but it's not RPG light aspects, kind of like Bethesda games where the RPG-ness of it is very downplayed to the action RPG aspect, the action part of it. Um, but it was really cool having skill points that you could put in that affect your options. Like if you have psych, uh, like psychology leveled up enough, you can ask more insightful questions and get more information from people. If you have high engineering, you can like reprogram turrets and open safes without having to know the you know, without having to do any kind of detective work to find the code anywhere in the map. Um, stuff like that. Like if you have high armor, you get things where it's like, oh, there's a bomb. And instead of disarming it, if you have high enough armor, you can just turn around, clinch yourself around the bomb and let it blow up and it's not going to destroy you. And yeah. it like safely detonates the bomb. It's like small stuff that's really the illusion of choice. Like it doesn't really matter and it's not massively changing what's happening in the game, but it's giving you a really good magic trick of choice and and you know, impact in the like I guess 
what do they call it? Um, Choice and consequence. Well, to a degree, but really it's like it gives you agency in the game. It's it's false mm. agency. The game doesn't really derail any major way because of your choices, but it gives you the illusion that you're doing something that's really changing, and it does it well. It hides the magic trick well enough that even though it is just a magic trick, you're never like, well, that was blatantly obvious that nothing, you know? Yeah. Illusions. So. God, I love that video. <laughs> Have you seen that? You've seen that video? I don't know. what. Uh, maybe? What are you talking about? Where the the kid is hiding from the babysitter and she calls the cops and turns out he's hiding in the fridge. She goes, how the oh. fuck were you in the fridge? She goes, illusions. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah I've that. seen that. Uh, so I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but I am going to run through a couple things. So I know a couple people that were listening had noticed that I was playing Hogwarts Legacy again. I did beat Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, I decided against playing any further of it. I finished the side content that I wanted to finish, uh, even after finishing the game. Um, I decided not to platinum it because it's a very tedious Tedious. platinum. So it's tedium to the T and I just don't care. But I do think the game is really really good and i see more of what people see in it than i did when i initially left it i still don't know if for me as an individual i view it in this game of the year light but i think it's much closer than i originally gave it credit for um and i think much like i'm saying about um Taeon right here i think that there really needs to be something said about the quality of work and how consistent across the board Hogwarts Legacy is at an even higher rate than Taeon. I mean, that game really pushes to be a licensed game. It does a lot of great things. And I would like to see the idea used again and pushed a little further. But I, I think it's a great game. I mean, really, I, I understand why certain people clicked with it really well. And I can see how some people might look at it and go, this is my game of the year. Because it did scratch a few itches that you didn't get a lot of opportunity to scratch this year. Revelio, um, my dude. Yeah, Revelio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a couple more to run through very quickly. The Artful Escape is a rather short but really interesting and creative rhythm action game. Uh, I almost don't want to call it rhythm action game because there's not a lot of action. Um it's almost like a rhythm platformer. It's a very weird game, but it tells a really interesting story. It has a lot of fun with it, and it's got so much character and so much heart to it. And it's just hard not to play it and just enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of trippy. It's a game that I've been meaning to play for a long time. And after I beat Hogwarts Legacy, I was just kind of in like, I don't want to start a big game right now. So I was like, what do I play? And I was like, The Artful Escape. It's like a six-hour, five-hour game. Great. Mm-hmm. Then I moved to a game I have literally been meaning to play since it hit PlayStation, and Lots that is Unpacking. Of fate. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chris, I'm sorry. Ah. When I send you my PlayStation to borrow for Grand Theft Auto 4, I'll send it back to you. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I'll platinum it before then. Now, um, Unpacking, a game Great that game. you played while back. Dude, I, here's the thing about both games. Mm. They take vastly different approaches to storytelling, but storytelling is almost like first and foremost for both of these games. Um, as weird as that sounds, unpacking it does a good job of making. I mean, clearly it's a puzzle game. You're playing a puzzle game, mm-hmm. but it's so interesting in how it chooses to tell its story and how subtle it is, but also how overt it is. Yeah. And I really enjoyed its take on being able to watch someone's life change by simply seeing 
how not only what they moved forward with as they moved, mm-hmm. but where stuff went. And that seems like such a small detail because, like, you know, the game actually, you have to put things in the right spot. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love without getting into too much detail is that there's one time that you move. And you start noticing that you're having to like suppress who your character who's been moving is. And then you kind of get to see the game bloom back into that being able to be front and center again. Mm -hmm. And it's so subtle, but it's, it's moving in a way that I wouldn't say like, I, I, it's not like I wanted to cry or anything, but it was just like, that was really unique and touching. Yeah. And I just enjoyed the game for what it was. When you're, when you're fi- when you're putting stuff under the bed that yes. used to be right in the center of the room, yes, you're like, yes. oh shit, and the items that you put under the bed, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, well, you know what I love about it too is that the game clearly has certain things have to go in certain basic areas, but there's yeah. a lot of freedom. Like when you're unpacking, yeah. you're not, it's not super strict. I mean, you're putting things in general areas, but a few things are specifically made to draw your, like where you have to put them is made to draw your attention to something. Right. You and know, the microwave goes in the kitchen, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't care where you put it. If it's on the countertop, it's happy. Yeah. <laughs> you exactly. Know? I'm yeah. glad you, I'm glad you had, you had that opinion of it because that was one of the cool things was like towards the end when, your space is a little more 50 50 right you're like oh i'm really happy for this person or <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, things like have gotten weird... better yeah. yeah also fun trophies because here's the thing i didn't you know i never do trophy gods so i played the game and then i did look at a trophy god for cleanup because there was a few things i don't yeah, think i would have been able to guess on my own mm-hmm. uh but one of the things I loved is by nature of who I am, once I realized that you could just interact with random stuff, I kept flushing all the toilets in the game, and then I got a trophy <laughs> for it. And I was like, fuck yeah, yeah let's go. Yeah. Um, one more quick game that I've started um, today, actually, and played a few hours of. Um, I'm playing. I'm finally playing Super Liminal. Nice. And it's clearly hype. It's, it's a lot inspired by, uh, by Portal. Uh, in a great way and it it uses its own puzzle stick really interestingly and uh i'm having a great time with it it's it's harder sometimes than you expect because it's like making you think about things in a vastly different Mm way um and much like portal it's like each room is trying to get you to do something different within the scope of mechanics that are there uh i'll say like the fifth level in the game uh which i just got finished with is called clone. And so when you interact with things, instead of carrying them as you usually would, it creates duplicates that get smaller and smaller and smaller as you continue to copy them, copy them, copy them. Because nice. you copy one and it makes a slightly smaller one. And if you copy the slightly smaller one, it just keeps going. Um, and it was just, it made me think in a lot of weird ways. It's great puzzle solving. So yeah. uh, we can get moving on to there. Uh, Chris, you have anything else you want to bring up? Yeah, I want to shout out one more thing. Not a video game, so we won't spend too much time on it. But I watched uh, Godzilla Minus One, and that's the fucking greatest movie I've ever seen. You should go watch I it. I intend to watch <laughs> it very soon. It looks awesome. Dude, it was so sick. Like, I mean, Sadie picked it out, and then we watched it, and she really liked it. And at the end of the movie, I was sitting there. I'm like, this, and like, no. And I had I was crying at the end of the movie. I felt it was great. It was awesome. 
That's great, man. I intend to go watch it very soon. Maybe this Absolutely. weekend because I want to catch it in theater. Oh, um, yeah. But ideally, we have it in our theater. But ideally, I want to go an hour away from us. We have an IMAX theater. Mm. That'd be a pretty cool IMAX movie. <laughs> that would be a good IMAX movie. Yeah. And I've never been to an IMAX theater. So Ugh, I've, there you go. Two yeah. for one. It. Been to one and it was the worst experience I've ever had. So, so w- is it because of the individual theater or do you just think IMAX is inherently... No, I think it was the theater because the IMAX screen was smaller than the regular screens. Ooh, that's rough. So it was not worth the 20 extra dollars I paid <laughs> to see Dune. <laughs> sure, sure. That sucks because anyway. Dune is a masterpiece. Oh, um, yeah, it is. All right, so we're going to go ahead and move into the news. And, of course, the news is going to kind of span the two-week period. Uh, The first thing is probably the hypest thing for most people in gaming. Uh, Unfortunately, that doesn't really include me. But Grand Theft Auto 6 is indeed a real game. The trailer for the next Epic from Rockstar Games leaked a little earlier than the announced December 5th date. So Rockstar posted the trailer themselves. In the trailer, we can see the landscape and the people of Vice City. And the trailer spent most of its time focused on Lucia. The trailer ended noting the game is coming out in 2025. Impressively, the trailer has been viewed over 60 million times since its release at the time that Chris originally wrote this the <laughs> day before that. Uh, yeah. So who, you can only imagine what it's at now. Let's I think Blake out. is about a million of those. Um, <laughs> he, said, he said watching the trailer every day until the game comes out. I'd rather blow my fucking brains out. <laughs> oh, my God. I that asked is, him. I'm like... Uh, <laughs> So if a new trailer comes out, are you only allowed to watch this trailer specifically every day? <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yeah. He set the rules. And for the record, it's at 144 million views now. Yeah. That's not surprising at all. They made their budget back on Twitter ad revenue. <laughs> so, Chris, I'm going to kind of let you spearhead this one. Um, okay. Because the most I can really say for myself here is... Grand Theft Auto just has not spoke to me since the PlayStation 2 in any real capacity. I guess technically the PSP. Um, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I've grown out of it. I don't know if it just doesn't speak to my sensibilities. Uh, but I'm I'm not nearly as into Rockstar <clears throat> as most other people are. And the series I like the most from Rockstar are ones that are dead and gone, like Midnight Club. So um, Tabletop I'm in a tennis. weird spot, you know. <laughs> sure. Tabletop tennis fucking rocks. Um I don't know. I don't have a ton to say. Like, I'm a big GTA Man guy. Hunt, by the way, Manhunt, great game. Yeah, Warriors. Um, Another interesting movie tie-in that's actually pretty solid. It's pretty good. But yeah, uh, no, I just think this trailer looks awesome. You know, I don't have a ton to say. It was a week ago. You know, I well, think we've all seen it. I think the question here is: as someone who loves Grand Theft Auto, you're, you're probably not playing four right now. You played mm-hmm. five, and you clearly liked five. What is it that was shown out? What was it that was shown that has you super hyped? Or is it strictly that you know it's real now and because it's Grand Theft Auto, you're excited? Was there something specific that excites you or is it just more the existence? No, I mean, my answer, the first thing that popped into my head was the Rockstar logo. So <laughs> that's all I needed. It's Grand Theft Auto 6. Look, you don't. I'm not saying that you're wrong to not like them because I could see not enjoying them, but yeah. uh, Rockstar doesn't make bad games. So, and to be clear, I never said that. that I didn't did. say and that. No, you didn't say that. I'm I just, just want to clear with anyone else that I am not as hype on their type of games. Um, that's what I would say. You know, like yeah. I didn't like Red Dead One. I did like Red Dead Two. So, look, I'm not immune. 
to liking a Rockstar <laughs> game if it speaks to me in a specific way. But I also think it's worth mentioning that I didn't really like Red Dead 2 until I made it basically an immersive sim. Which is insane. <laughs> Brett really <laughs> loves uh, Drawer Opening Simulator 2018. Just kidding. That game is that. infinitely more interesting to me as a first-person immersive sim. And it's so funny because in crazy. a lot of ways, we'll talk about it in a bit, but when they when Arcane Leon first said that uh, Blade was going to be a third-person immersive sim, I thought, what the hell does that look like? And in hindsight, I realized that that's probably what Red Dead it's probably the best way to describe Red Dead if you play it normal. A Blade game? <laughs> no, no, no. A, a third-person immersive sim. No, I know. Because that you, game is that game up. is yeah. <laughs> that game is incredibly simulation heavy. Like it's what well, we're gonna do, you know, deterioration of weapons. You gotta clean mm-hmm. your weapon, you gotta heal yourself, you gotta heal your horse. All these little things that it's worried about. You know, well, the horse's penis shrinks if it's cold outside. Oh, (laughs) fucking yeah, it does. (laughs) Wild shit like that. Um, And so I think that even though I couldn't bring myself to play the game that way, because I'm part of the reason I don't like Rockstar games, I know blasphemy, um, at least their third-person games that they're most popular for, is I do do not like the way their third-person games play. Um, But again, that's an unpopular opinion. That's just where I'm at. So, be interesting to see. I mean, clearly Blade is going to be a little bit more melee. Slash, I feel like Blade is going to be like third-person immersive sim Devil May Cry. Like, I don't really know what else it could be because it's going to be like guns and swords. My honest theory <laughs> is that you're not allowed to make a comic book game that's in first person. That's my genuine theory. Oh, is that, that they won't do it because you like, have don't to. Wrong. I don't think there's any first-person superhero games. Yeah, outside of like you're, arcade or whatever, but I mean, maybe. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like you know, playing the Terminator games or Star- right. Terminator is not really one, but I'm sure that there's something out there. Well, hold on, mm-hmm. hear me out. Was Iron Man VR not first person? I never played it, but it's VR. I understand that's a very different stipulation, but I just yeah, want to know. I would say it it was first person, but you're basically just playing the Iron Man suit. And everything when there is cutscenes, like as obviously when there is cutscenes, it's third person. person, but yeah. Um, I don't know, I don't Which think, I think that's is like what Robocop s- did, right? Yeah, I, I'd almost argue Robocop plays as much as it's an action RPG, it's got a lot of uh immersive sim elements to it, not as just, many as I would want, yeah, but I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that being a VR game, it changes it because guess what? The Iron Man game that's coming from EA Motive is in third person, so. Yeah, I think they I just want you to see the character. I think you're correct, and it's it does make you wonder why would you even approach Arcane Leon if like it, that's that's not the type of game, which is fine. I was just talking earlier about how being able to kind of diversify yourself has a genuine benefit. Definitely, when your last game was Redfall. Listen, um, I I like Arcane enough to think their games are fine, but um, you know who would have been a great developer for this? Ninja Theory. No, CD Projekt Red with the also, fucking yeah. katanas. Well, see, but then I, I, I first person. That's Give the, it to the, me the crazy first thing. Of, the crazy thing about it is that when it happened, I was like, I understand that it's comic book and that the whole point of it is that the character is like 80% of the IP. So yeah. like you don't want people to not be seeing the character. But <clears throat> honestly, dude, sword play with some gunplay, first person is like ideal in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like 
But I guess that's just a, what are your sensibilities? I love third person games. I, I but, genuinely do. But it's like that type of game. I'm like, oh, first person. Let's yeah, go. <laughs> again, I'm, I'm also the guy who plays Fallout 3 in third person because I want to see my character. So we're, yeah, we're coming sure. at it very differently. But um, And I would never. <laughs> like I yeah. play Bethesda games first person. No, exclusively. always third person. I mean, I don't play Bethesda games anymore, but you know. I did play some Starfield. That was it's fun. <laughs> I've landed on the more time has passed. I don't think I'm going to play Starfield. It got given to me, and I just don't, I cannot stir up enough interest deep in my soul for it to matter. Yeah, it's one of those things like everyone can see. I played 39 hours of of Starfield. I'm not a fake gamer or a, <laughs> when I say this, but there's my most recent save in Starfield is stuck in combat, and I don't care to get out of it. So uh, that's I watched. Do you know part of where that came from? Is I watched about eight minutes of someone Mm. playing Starfield, and I have never been so bored (laughs) watching someone play a game. And I know that that's not really fair, but I imagine myself playing it. And here's the problem: is about seven minutes of that eight minutes was them sprinting and then their sprint meters run out so they just kind of run and then they jump Mm. and they boost for a second and then their boost would run out and then their sprint would come back and they'd sprint i'm like there's nothing interesting on this planet there's nothing happening you don't even have the classic great skyrim moment of i'm on the way to my objective i know i'm gonna (laughs) see six or seven different super cool things on the way to draw my attention i was like dude this is (laughs) <laughs> Starfield is a very empty Bethesda game, and that's okay. That was my view on it. I didn't get too far into it, but um, sure. let's stop taxing Microsoft and talk about the next piece of, of news. <laughs> let's do that. PlayStation Store has sent users a notice that about 1,300 seasons of content will be removed from the service and users' libraries on December 31st. Sony described this as a licensing issue with Discovery. So this has been kind of out and about for a little bit. Unfortunately, as Discovery has decided, their license are not being renewed. Mm. And as much as it sucks from a PlayStation standpoint, PlayStation is the one having to eat crow when it has nothing to do with them. And that sucks because it it doesn't really matter if it's Discovery's fault. PlayStation is going to take the brunt of this. Well, they Um, sold it to you too, right? I think that's the thing. It doesn't make sense to me how... Sony doesn't have some kind of clause and all this stuff where if you sell it on our platform and they buy it, they have it forever. Well, you know what the real problem is, hmm. is that people did not think about that enough when they when this digital you know revolution kind of started. And that has been largely left out. And that's why games on the same platforms, <laughs> you have problems like the fact that you can't. You know, you can no longer buy or sell. Now, there's a big there's a big caveat here. I'll give you that. But like, you know, the fact that you can't buy or sell the Transformers games or the Deadpool game, but you can still play them if you already own them. This is a really big step because it's removing it from people who already owned it. And I do find that to be wild. But ultimately, PlayStation doesn't have control over licenses. So whatever agreement yeah. was made here, yeah, it, it's partially on PlayStation. They agreed right. to be like, hey, we're going to sell this and this is what That's- we're agreeing to from you. That's where I'm at, where if, you know, if Johnny Walmart kicked down my door and took my computer monitor back, you'd be like, okay, where's my money? You know? And I think that's the problem I have with this story, is I've been vocal on the fact that I don't necessarily think that just because it exists, you deserve access to it. So if a game comes off the store, and you can't buy it, but you own it, and you can still play it, I think it's 
totally acceptable. I think it sucks it's coming off the store, but I think that's a decision out of my hands that I don't have any opinion on other than, okay, that sucks. But I think in this scenario, when they're taking it away from you and just ethering it, that money has to come back, even if it's not a full payment, right? If yeah, even if it's came, like, hey, we've prorated it. You got this many years out of it. We're gonna be, we're gonna give you thirty percent of the value that right, you originally spent. Exactly, because that that's a situation for me. You know, if half the digital movies I own, they were like, we're giving you ten percent back. I'd be like, hell yeah, that's an extra. I don't know how much money in my pocket well, that I didn't you know, have you, before. You'd still be like, for, you'd still be like, oh damn, that sucks. But at least there's some kind of consolation, right? And I think the yeah. point with me is I'm saying half of those things I don't even watch anymore. So I'm going to go ahead and bet that the vast majority of people affected haven't watched episode three of season one of Mythbusters. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't have it because they purchased it. Unless here's the crazy you're giving thing about me my that, money though. back. You're is actually using a great... You no, you're using a great example of Max, which is fucking owned by Discovery. It's their mm-hmm. product. There are like seven missing seasons of Mythbusters. How the fuck do you not have the rights to display your own shit? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the old stories of like, there's a lot of lost media strictly because they like taped over it. You know, oh, yeah. like yeah. that shit happens all the time. There's games that don't exist because they lost the notepad Mario was written on or whatever. You know what I mean? Or a good example is like back in the day, hard drive space was hard to come by. So after, the master would be overwritten so they could start developing a new game. Right. And exactly. it's like, well, oops. So <laughs> well, let me ask you something <clears throat> real quick. Cause I think it's kind of a weird in between wrinkle to this. Um, how are you about the uh, Konami and what they chose to do with, didn't PT. pay for it. You're right. You didn't pay for it, but unlike uh, 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 every other demo that's ever existed, once you download it and it's part of your library, uh, I do find it weird that as long as you never delete it, you can play it all damn day long. But yeah. the moment, at least officially, that your PlayStation either dies or you choose to delete it to play something else, it's like, yeah, fuck you. Goodbye. Well, okay. You're right. The, you didn't pay for it. but This... You're free to tell me because in my head I feel as though I'm moving the goalposts, but I think it fits the conversation, right? Go ahead. Yeah. I have access to multiple betas and alphas that sure. I could sure I could download them, but they're dead. So it's effectively sure. the same. So isn't this our you know, it sucks. And PT the <sighs> fact that PT doesn't exist is a blight on history and video game history, but I don't think it's Agreed. a blight on customers. Yeah, I think it's because, like you said, no one paid for it. I think if the same thing had happened, like it had been a $2 like mini experience and then they oh, did the absolutely. same shit, then I think you'd have like, like fine, you got to give everybody their $2 back. <laughs> right, exactly. And that, uh, that's where you're, I look, you're right. I don't think you're moving the goalposts to bring up betas that are clearly dead because there's no reason for them to support them. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're talking about a single player game and, you know, that's. The, the better comparison would, of course, be like I can still download the Knack 2 demo and play it to this day, whether or not I whether or not you want to or not, or whether sure. or not there's value in that is up to whoever. But once you have it, once it's been there, you can do it as many times as you want. Well, and, that, so. and that's the problem is like, yeah, you're it's moving the goalposts a little bit, but there's also no example of a single player demo like yeah, that's this. ever been removed. Yeah, right, or even that exists in the way that it that it exists. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so um, it's it's interesting for sure, but it, it's uncomfortable, and I think it brings up something that's been long running, and it's something that 
I feel slightly validated in the fact that I've been saying for years and I've heard a lot of people undermine the fact that I've said this and be like, well, no, this is just digital rights and this is, you know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I'm not going to say you've done that, but I think you've had versions of why digital is not a bad thing. And clearly digital has a lot of benefits, but one of the massive downsides is shit like this, because like you said, when it's just a license that you are being granted, permitted, like continual use of until someone decides otherwise, effectively, you're just renting it. You're fancy renting it and you're paying sure. the same, if not sometimes more for a fancy version of renting it. Because like you said, if you go and buy the game on Blu-ray or if you go and buy your computer monitor, like, yeah, eventually it will degrade and it will not be playable by nature of being you know, just too old and too frail to work correctly. But that's at least dying on its own terms at that point. Whereas realistically, even if the disc doesn't work, you can still have the disc and you technically still own the game all day long. Whereas the only way that you could compare what's happening now is if Walmart kicked your door down and was like, I know we sold you those Blu-rays, but fucking give them here. <laughs> <laughs> We've lost the license to sell it, so it's ours. Yeah. Um, so, no. you ever think about, you know, like the gun buyback programs, like Walmart starts doing the Blu-ray <laughs> buyback program? Listen, guys, we've lost the rights to this, yeah. so we don't want this movie out about. So, if you come and just turn it in, we'll give you a little bit of money. Right. I'm going to need your Walmart-exclusive Taylor Swift vinyl cover back, please. Um, no, I mean, I, I think the thing is the digital rights argument has come up with this, and it fits it. I just... You know, I I don't know why, but I have less reverence for, and I, I apologize to all my cinephiles. I personally just have less concern about this specific thing to invest in physical movies. I invest in physical well, games. It's not take, even take, a lot of yeah. them. Yeah, you take, know, and just, I say that, take it away from that. Like, what happens the day that you buy a digital game and for some reason... Whoever holds some form of license that it, that interacts with that game goes, yeah, no. What happens? Like, what if? I, what if one day is, I Disney's like, listen, we yeah, and maybe it won't, but I don't think anybody would believe this would happen. I'm pretty sure if five years ago you were like, guys, listen, one day Discoveries is going to up and pull all their shit, even if you've bought it, you'll never have access to it again. You'd be like, that's never going to happen. I know that that's exactly what you would say because. We, you bring these things up and they seem like worst case scenarios and in your head you want to defend the fact that it's possible but you're realistic enough to go at the time like the chances of it happening are so minimal that is it really worth talking about and you bring that up and then this happens and I think it's just a it's a canary in the coal mine to what could continue to happen you don't really oh, know but you know. sure I mean that's definitely true but again maybe moving goalposts a little bit but what if Sony and Microsoft just like you can't buy games on our consoles anymore. It's all sure. subscription services and it's a hundred dollars a month. Same problem. At and that I go point, towards like do, do they have the right to do it? Of course they do. But I think the problem that really comes down to there, and it is a it's a consumer problem in terms of it relies on consumer action. And that's really what it comes down to. So anyone who wants to buy digital, I think that this sounds terrible. And I know that it sounds terrible, but at the end of the day, it's a decision bearing a consequence. And this is your decision to support something that's so flagrantly 
anti-consumer, if I'm going to be honest about what it is, digital rights management doesn't really exist. The, the term exists, but you don't, you don't own any goddamn thing that those you buy digitally. It's just the reality. Said. Yeah, those, those words have been said, but you don't actually manage anything because it's not yours. You're just getting a license as long as they see fit to continue to allow you to use it. Um, and so as unfortunate as it is, this is kind of like a, I hate that people are losing this, but I'm hoping this wakes people up to the fact that this is very real and very possible. And maybe there is a reason why you should look at doing this, but even outside of the consumer aspect of it, right? This is going to rely on consumers being like, we don't want this to happen. So we're going to go back to supporting physical media um, as a means to try and curb this as much as possible. But I also think that the bigger thing is kind of like you said, Chris, some things are just lost anyway. Some media is lost because. But it's really shitty that something could be lost strictly because someone says, yeah, we just don't want anyone to have it anymore. <laughs> yeah, for you know, sure. It's like it ended up apparently not being true, but like, you know, Max uh, had an issue where it pulled Watchmen, the 2019 or 2020 Watchmen, whatever it was, year yeah. it was. Um, and it, they... Put it back up and said it was an error, a glitch in the system that delisted it when it shouldn't have been. But when it first happened, everybody's like, there's no fucking other way to... Well, there is. It got a Blu-ray release, but it's like, you know, what What if it didn't get a Blu-ray release like so many other stream things don't? It's like, then it's just gone forever. And it brings up a really oh. good question. So I, I think we're hitting a... I think we're starting to kind of have the waves clash against the shore of people realizing that there are issues with the current format of digital. Well, and ownership. that's the thing. I don't think that, I guess for me, I don't think that, that I think that fight has been being fought for a long time in the movie space because yeah. hush is one of the best horror movies of all time. And it's, it's gone. so good. Yep, You can't watch that. And Listen, I'm not going to lie. There's a small part of me that's like, it's there's a, a little bit of, I don't know how to say, you know, like the blue whale ocean strategy, right? Like not having access to hush makes hush better. You know? <laughs> like I like get it's to more exclusive. The fact that you have watched it now right. means that you're among, like you're the old word of mouth thing where it's like, yeah, I get the, to, it, it, it's, it's book of Eli. If the, if the Bible went missing <laughs> and all you had was word of mouth about what the Bible was and everyone was like, it wouldn't be so sick if we could just get one more glance at a real Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like, I get to bully my kids and be like, you never saw Mike Flanagan's hush. It put him on the map. You fucking nerd. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And but, what really sucks about all of this is it makes you start to root for illegal activity because you're like, God, I know someone illegally ripped Hush and found a well, way. And then if I want to, I can go illegally download this copy that shouldn't be legal. Yeah. And that's and the, the thing, only right, reason it's not legal is because they chose to pull a product they had no physical version of. And they didn't oh. even be like, hey, we're going to release it digitally and give you the option to buy it digitally which at mm-hmm. least is a stepping stone in the right direction they just didn't even do that it's just like no fuck it's gone yeah it's kind of nuts i don't know i think with games for me it's i'm not going to be worried about it you know delisting sucks until i lose access to a game i paid money for that's when i'm going to start being concerned because i'm very much on this team of do you not I don't, feel like that's too late I think that it's worth trying to bring it to people's attention and be like, hey, this is something we're seeing happen across the aisle in a completely different market. Uh, and we're seeing it happen on the console in which a lot of us are playing, not in the same medium, but on the same device. 
and from the same provider and what is to stop that from happening to the games and i think you know just talking about it and kind of getting people to look at it and hopefully start to change their actions to some degree or at least lobby and and try and push people (laughs) to work on digital uh, ownership rights is a good way to try and stop that so that we're not only doing that after we've lost access to a lot of things well i think the difference between movies and games is and maybe this is a great argument for why you should hope that microsoft can turn themselves around a little bit even though it would be great to see starfield on playstation is that you want that third console right because Sony pulls a game in the license and you can't play a game, but Microsoft doesn't, that starts getting people to move over, right? So I think a lot of the reason why I don't think this will ever happen is strictly customer loyalty. And I do not think the big Hollywood theaters care about customer loyalty because there's no there's no fucking WB fanboys, right? It's not like Christopher Nolan and Martin Scorsese stands are beefing, right? Nobody's out here like, Oh, you're a fucking Warner brothers pony. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't happen. So I don't think there's a fight for customer loyalty in the movie industry. It's one of the reasons why gaming not having auteurs is not, is a bad thing because there is no, I have to go see the the new Ridley Scott Napoleon movie. I don't care that it's not historically accurate. It's Ridley Scott. We don't have that, you know. You're getting there well, with Kojima. Yeah, you're getting like, we, there we have- with Sam Lake, but mm-hmm. you're not there where you can issue, issue the customer and and their comfortability on your platform as much as you can with movies, right? People will boycott Disney and then be like, oh, well, Robert Downey Jr. came back as Iron Man. It doesn't matter. And I think that's the big thing. They don't have to fight for your loyalty. Maybe I'm naive, but I really don't. I really think that Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo, Nintendo less so because people, in my opinion, are loyal to their characters. They're not loyal to the company. So they they're not as much worried about that. But I think this is just such an easy, we're not doing this. Like if you're putting a game on PlayStation, it's always in their library because they know that they need you there. Microsoft has acknowledged that losing the generation that started backwards compatibility because you have these libraries is or a bad the digital. Thing. Yeah. The digital, the digital yeah. libraries. Exactly. Yeah. Phil Spencer told you how important having that library is. So I don't think, Sony or Microsoft is in a position to, to take that away from you ever. They're not in a position to lose that loyalty. If they were, they wouldn't have put backwards compatibility in and all of us would be playing like seven games on our PS5s. <laughs> right? Like, it's true. Possibly, like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, maybe I'm making a crazy argument, but I just don't think that digital movies and TV shows are <laughs> anywhere close to the same realm as digital games for that well, reason. I don't entirely agree with what you're saying, but I at least understand where you're coming from and how you're reaching that point because the incentive structure and the two markets are incredibly different. Because like you said, there the what you'd have to do to make the movie industry, uh, the, the film and TV industry at all like the gaming industry would be to make content that is available across every device, but also make content that's only available on one device. And when you buy it on that mm-hmm. device, you can only watch it on that device. So you'd be like, oh, well, I bought the new Ghostbusters movie, but I can only watch it on my Sony Blu-ray player. 
<laughs> my Toshiba UH8000. <laughs> yeah, I can only stream it on my Sony TV. Like, so basically, it's right. like you buy it, but you can only utilize it and watch it if it's on this one platform of things. And that's not what the movie industry has done. And you know, I love, absolutely adore uh, exclusives, and I think that their value to the games industry is incredible. And and that's because games are inherently different than film. But I think. With all things, the positives of exclusives are also inherently negatives at a lot of the times because suddenly there's an if you're going to make exclusives, it incentivizes you to make all of your products specific to your console. Why is that? It's also because a console takes a bunch of different parts that make this thing work together. And the reality is, is that a PlayStation 5 disc will not is not coded in a way that the Xbox will understand because that game was made for that system. And that's because games are a lot more complex. So as, as great as the more open ended aspect of, um, of the movie industry is that really comes from the fact that as long as you have a player that can play that format, it can work on anything because that format is coded the same across all these things. That's just not true. Games are having to play in real time. And because of that, they have to play off of a set of hardware that they're made to support. Uh, so it's, it's really, Games are so much more complicated than I think a lot of people give them credit for. I know that Blake has often uh, decried exclusives as a problematic thing, and he points to the movie industry. And I can even understand the draw to want to do that. It's just the industries are inherently too different. And it's not even about the industry. The product is inherently different. It just is. And that means that because of the way that the product has to be made to work, it's impossible for the structure to be moved away from. You make an item for one device, that device plays it, you buy it for that, the license only works for that. Otherwise, no one is going to make a device to play it because they're not going to... It's it's too expensive. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not a $100 Blu-ray player. Right. It's doing more and to incentivize them to make something that can push the industry forward since, you know, like computers and special effects for movies are, of course, pushing that side of the industry forward. But that has nothing to do with the Blu-ray player you're watching it on. It's not like so the CGI is going to look like a, a much lower resolution and going to have lower texture quality just because you're watching on a Sony Blu-ray player versus um, a Panasonic because that's just not how that works. That's you know, you're all you're doing is yeah, there are higher quality because of how they choose to build stuff up, but you're watching the same thing on both devices. So um, we're gonna have to move on into the next thing, but uh, it's been interesting seeing social media ablaze with people who are like, maybe there is something that we need to worry about with this digital library thing. So it's it's nice to see from someone who's been long saying that there is a, a real value to pushing for physical in the gaming sphere. Uh, Chris, next thing on the news, Capcom has confirmed that more Resident Evil games will be remade in the coming years. Resident Evil 4's director said that he would be happy to do more remakes as they allow a new audience to experience the older games we all know and love. He didn't go far enough, though. He didn't go far enough to confirm what game uh, would be remade next, though, but the Cadence would indicate that a Resident Evil 5 might be the next game, though 1 and Code Veronica are the most dated games in the series without a modern coat of paint. I don't know if I agree with your writing there that 1. 1 technically did receive a remake. Is it modern? Um, Arguably, it's, it's HD. It's past the HD era. It's PS3, Xbox 360. I don't, it's not what I intend when I say that. I think that's fair. 
But I think in looking at them and how they started their remakes, there's a, a big gap between the Resident Evil 1 remake and Resident Evil 2 remake. Uh, but I think to some degree... The intention was there for that to be it. I would be really interested to see them go back and remake one again. I'm all for it if they do. I am not saying I wouldn't be, but I'd be surprised. I guess the way I'm thinking about it is five and one remake, one remake needs the remake. Six and one remake, one remake needs the remake. Hell, Revelations, Revelations 2, one needs the remake. So I think the next places they have to go don't need to be remade as the remake of the remake of Resident Evil 1. Because this would be the third time, correct? Right? I'm not making that up. Well, because it's Resident Evil, and then there's a remake on GameCube, and then that remake was remade, correct? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So that's three. (laughs) Yeah. Fourth time's the charm. Third time. What the fuck? Third time's the charm. Whatever. What's next? <laughs> I think it depends on what they want to do from a gameplay perspective because I, I think one's remake stayed much more true to it, whereas two, three, and four took a lot of liberties with the yeah. gameplay styles. Um, <clears throat> so at this point, if they're going to remake one, I think it had to be similar. I think that they, they would have to move it to a camera behind the back, I've, you know, and I, I, I don't over the shoulder camera, you know. I mean, I'm I'm totally down. I much prefer that. I Hear me out. Resident Evil One, Two, and Three originally are quite clunky games. I mean, they're loved for that. But hear me out, okay? Resident Evil One remade in the 2D HD style. <laughs> I mean, okay, Chris. Okay. Let I mean, me every cook. game needs to be remade in the HD. Dude, I would take a Red Dead Two remake in the HD 2D art style. That'd be wild. That would be, be awesome. wild. Be feel like playing a Western Chrono Trigger. <laughs> that, you, that I don't know why you said those words as if it was a bad thing. <laughs> no, I think in there like a Western section of that Live a Live remake that they did. Yeah, I, I want to play that. I'm waiting for it to yeah. drop in price. Uh, anyway, uh, this is just a fun time to drop a question in that I think is uh, interesting. So I want to take a break Pepper on the news me. to pepper in as chris wants uh, a little bit of a question a so chef. we have over on twitter our longtime friend of the show longtime patron no fate says other than grand theft auto 5 putting snow down what other games offer a great christmas theme over the holidays miles dude morales. i have like a litany of stuff here <laughs> miles the, morales is a good one miles morales is the best christmas game that's bold i can't even uh, think of any others so well, it depends on how you want to go about it, but I think Arkham Origins. Where, Arkham Origins was the game I was about to shout out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the original Dead Rising has got some Christmas stuff going on in the mall. Uh, if you uh, really, it's the only one of them I've played, but you know what? it has them. I didn't play a lot of this, but I think I would put it as one of my favorite games set in Christmas times. Is uh, the Division and the Division Two? See, I think the Division, not the Division Two, because it's not set during Christmas. Really, it's not set the during Division, Christmas, but it still looks like Christmas because they didn't take down their fucking decorations. There's moments, yeah, uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, the Division One for sure. I think can can hit that eve, uh, hit that for someone. I think another game that's really important to list is a game that most people probably haven't played that are listening to this podcast. So people who have are gonna be like, "Fuck yeah!" Uh, Parasite Eve, the very first Parasite Eve game, takes place on Christmas Day. Yeah, it does. Doesn't um, uh, the PSP one do? Oh, I What's think you're right. Called? The third birthday. The third birthday, yeah. That's, I that's think that it game. does. If nothing else, I know that game has got a lot of snow-heavy levels. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, a couple of other games that come to mind. Uh, it's actually happening right now in Destiny 2. They do the donning every year. And I think for some people, that's going to be there. But I think there's more of a games as a service game that's expected because then you oh. start throwing in like World of Warcraft, RuneScape, all these games. That it do is that. the Marvel Snap Winter Rush. So, you know. <laughs> see, but I think more <laughs> on terms of games that are made and they're a finished product. Uh, Death Stranding, I know this sounds weird. Death Stranding comes to mind because A, you're delivering packages, which just kind of has that. You know, like you're delivering gifts in a sense, but also uh, the um, uh, damn, what is his name? Um, Hartman. Uh, Whenever you're delivering to Hartman, and he's no, not no, it's it's I I forgot that's two different people. Yeah, (laughs) that's Die Hardman, and then there's Hartman, if I remember his name correctly, and he's the one that's got his his, uh, house in the snow, and you spend a good chunk in the snowy mountains. And they're really difficult to traverse. Uh, that seems like a weird one, but that just comes to mind. Um, this is going to sound weird. This is this is a lot like your GTA with Christmas uh, or, or with snow being Christmassy by effect. Spyro. Spyro has a general whimsical nature to it that I think kind of fits into the way I view Christmas. It's probably heavily. Um, Heavily tinted by a lot of the animated Christmas movies that you grow up with. Do they um, have Christmas in the Spyro universe? There are snow levels. And yeah. That doesn't mean Christmas. Again, listen, listen. I said in the vein of snow being a Grand Theft Auto Five being what he's talking about here, this is a similar thing. But I also just think Christmas is kind of magical. And Spyro's whole thing with the original trilogy is like everything just kind of has like a whimsical magic to it. So yeah. It, it gives me like the the Rudolph vibes and so you know it's like that kind of stuff where it's just like twinkly magic in the air and there are snow levels where you're running around and doing that so um, Saints Row 4 had that Christmas special so there's that one yes yes it did Um, but here's one that's uh, a little 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 weird okay Um, let me hear it PS1 game sure called Die Hard yes (laughs) Yes. I was hoping you were going to go a lot more weird with it. Uh, I'm going to go... We'll get off this question in a second. But I'm going to go super cheat code. Any game that has a calendar... So we're talking Rune Factory, Persona. All right. Stardew Valley is the best one. I was about to say Stardew Valley. uh, Any of the old... um, all right. Harvest Moon games. So this is the last one because this is officially the best one. Since you want me to go real weird with it, best Christmas game is SSX Tricky. <laughs> That's a good one. But it's no, it's skifree.exe. Fuck yes. <laughs> skifree is the dude. My wife does not know what skifree is. Get guests are on the podcast. Play it right now. I don't even care if you have to cut Dude, it. She needs I to told see her, it. I, I told her, I, I've shown her the picture because I was talking about, oh, it's like the Abominable Snowman from Ski Free. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm gonna and I, I Googled a picture and I was like, there is no fucking way you've never played this. And she's like, no. That was like the first computer game I ever played in computer lab in first yeah. grade. Yep. They took well, this computer like, lab and uh, I was like, what the fuck is this? Do you remember the art thing they had in the kids' rooms? It's what, like, kids' picks or something like that? And yeah. they'd have, like, those crazy effects that I See, remember that. See, well, this is what I remember. At, at le- yeah, I was going to say, in, in my <laughs> school... In my school, in first and second grade, they were doing like math video games because that's when people were like, well, look yeah. at what computers can yeah. do. So it was like, I remember there was a brick breaker 
where it was like math related brick breaking. <laughs> I know that sounds <laughs> weird. And then there was one where it was like you had to type the answers for like math problems in to make stuff happen on screen. Uh, and it was just really fun. But I remember I, once I kind of mastered those and would get bored <coughs> of them, we'd be in computer lab and nothing else would be going on. And that's when I discovered Ski Free. And I said, whoa, what is this? <laughs> Ski Free is very good. That's a good show. What I love about it too Ski Free is a classic example of old games that did not bother to tell you how the fuck to play them. Yeah. <laughs> you open that thing, yeah, and you don't even know how to get going. And once you accidentally tap the down arrow, good fucking luck. You got to figure it out. <laughs> Dude, it's so good when you like trip over the rocks. What a classic. I'm Dude, so glad. I I love the animation of him picking the skier up and like, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's still good. I'm playing it right now. Hey, another absolute banger computer game that was basically free and on everybody saying 3D Space Pinball. My fucking guy. I played so much 3D Space Pinball. It's one of my favorite games of all time. It's a fantastic game. It is so good. Um, I'm going to leave it with one final one. It's going to be Kingdom Hearts 2 because of Christmas Town. All right. So. We're moving along into the next one. Thank you for the question. It's a good time to be celebrating a little bit of the holiday spirit around here. Um, Next piece of news. People expecting Marvel's Blade, as we've kind of hinted at a few times, to be a multi-platform game may be disappointed. And, of course, this started as a fact that that there was no logo or anything shown. And it was kind of odd that when they showed this during Game Awards, there was, like, no discussion of Xbox at all. Yeah, it was (laughs) weird. So it was weird. It was weird, but um, recent comments from Disney about Machine Games' Indiana Jones game, uh, Sean Shoptow, Disney's head of gaming, had this to say on Indy's exclusive jaunt, Xbox still being one of the bigger marketplaces for games, so we didn't feel like we were going to be overly exclusionary. We felt like it's still going to reach a broad set of folks, and we felt, we felt financially and strategically for the game, that made sense at the time. He didn't comment on Blade. Uh, Technically, he is over Disney's head of gaming, but from what I understand, Marvel has its own head of gaming as well. Uh, Just to throw that out there. Um, But anyways, given these comments, it seems clear that while Xbox hardware isn't proliferating very well, at least in comparison to the competition, certain publishers or licensors are comfortable skipping PlayStation with Game Pass being on PC, TVs, phones, and fridges. Or, you know, Microsoft paid enough to split the difference. Uh, We really don't know what it is here. I am curious to see, and this is only worth mentioning uh, because it at least kind of brushes up against what we're talking about. So kind of like Chris was talking about with moving the goalposts. It's not what my intentions are with this, but I do think it's worth bringing up. Um, the game that just uh, came, what in the hell was it called? Dust? Um, as Dust Falls. As Dust Falls, yeah, As Dust Falls. Uh, is a Microsoft published game by an independent developer but it is published and funded originally by Microsoft, uh, Xbox Game Studios, and they shadow dropped it after it was leaked earlier in the day during the Game Awards to PlayStation. And you can go, okay, it's a much smaller game, and that is absolutely true. But it's still an Xbox Game Studios game, one that could be considered an exclusive for Game Pass and maybe something that could draw people into it. And they chose to push that game over to PlayStation. Microsoft made that choice. 
Xbox made that choice. I am very curious if certain things that they have going on aren't more sensible for them to be like, yes, let's go ahead and let this be third party. Or if it really just comes down to what the licensor is doing at that point in time. It's a weird time to be into it. Of course, PlayStation has exclusives Marvel stuff going on, but every other Marvel game has pretty much been announced as a multi-platform. And these comments toward indie are actually really helpful towards this argument. It's something that still may happen because while PlayStation getting exclusivity with <laughs> with Spider-Man does make a lot of sense considering how big of a market it is, um, you are still excluding a very large market elsewhere. Now, of course, that doesn't include the Switch because the Switch couldn't play the game anyway, but it does seem interesting to take something like Blade and push it down. Now, I bring this up for one reason. We talk about all the time, Sony really hit the lottery in the movie sphere by buying Spider-Man, the movie rights when they did, because Spider-Man is the biggest individual hero in terms of popularity. And I think you see that reflected in the fact that a single individual Spider-Man game sold as well as it did on a single system. So I think when you look at that, you kind of have... I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to upset anyone by saying this, but Blade is an inherently smaller IP. Oh yeah, I mean, 100%. I don't know that it does make sense, but also maybe it does. Maybe it makes more sense because it's a smaller IP. And Arcane tend to make pretty cheap games in comparison to most of the AAA things out there. I can see an argument for Blade being multi-platform. I can also see it, oh, look, we chose this developer in this IP because we can budget it accordingly to make it make sense and be profitable enough if it hits the right marks to be only on Xbox's ecosystem since that ecosystem expands outside of the consoles themselves. I can see it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't... I don't know. I think I mean I wrote the news, so clearly I think it like does kind of give us an indication on what they were their heads at. But um, I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised either way. I don't. But I mean, I think I I my gut is that it's exclusive. I just don't understand why Microsoft lets them get into a position where they have to answer this question. Even Kojima's yeah. game, it's like you know they made an a point to be like Xbox. That's what I thought was really interesting. But they didn't. Well, it said Xbox at the end. And did did they talk a whole bunch about it? No, but they made sure to tag it. Xbox, Game Studios. They didn't even bother with that for Blade. Oh, yeah, yeah, No, okay, you're right. They did do that. We knew that was Xbox Game Studios, but for me, what surprised me was there was no Xbox console exclusive. There was no, other than that little bit, there was no indication so the way that Kojima talks about it is I'm making a game in partnership with Xbox Game Studios, which he is, but they leave themselves open to that little bit of where is it going to end up? Where Yeah, because for me, I said it in our Discord, I'm like, <clears throat> Kojima's the only person I could see them being desperate enough to have to work with them to get them to be like, it's multi-platform. Even and, if it's just even if it's just one year console exclusivity, and he right. has to find someone else to publish the, the PlayStation version, just like PlayStation was like, yeah, we'll let you put Death Stranding wherever you want, but we're not going to publish it. So five hundred five was like, yeah, we'll publish it, right? And it's still not on Xbox consoles, so yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I don't know. This is just interesting. I think it's like I said. I think it's exclusive, but 
We'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely learn. This next piece of news is unfortunate, but it's kind of just where we are in the uh, in the world at this point in time. Insomniac Games has been infiltrated. A hacker group has claimed that they've breached Insomniac and is offering the booty for fifty bitcoins or about two and a half million dollars, at least at the very second. I'm topping this. They seem to get a ton of private information from actors and developers, including Yuri Lowenthal, the actor behind Spider Man. They release some screenshots of documents and yes, Wolverine as proof, but it would seem they don't want to go further than that, as they said that the data would only belong to the person who purchases it. Sony commented later and said they're aware of the breach, but do not believe that any other parts of the company <clears throat> are affected. Um, <clears throat> so look, leaks are just a reality of a highly connected internet world. Mm-hmm. It's what allows us to do this great podcast and talk despite the fact that we're very far away from each other. Um, but I think one thing that's been kind of happening this year is this idea of reclaiming it whenever it leaks and just being like, fuck it. Like, the 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 Rockstar Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer leaked, so Rockstar's just like, fuck it, I know we said yesterday, or I know we said tomorrow, but fuck it, we're doing it a day early. Because we can do that. And why let someone else own the moment? If, if there's already stirring up dust about something you're doing, give in to it. And so I almost wonder, what are the chances that we get like a, hey, listen, we know that some Wolverine stuff is potentially going to get out, so fuck it. Here's a Wolverine update. Here we are. That we're going to show you the character model, kind of a brief thing of what gameplay looks like. And I know that that kind of it doesn't mean it's going to happen because even Rockstar didn't do that when the very obviously real leaks about a year ago for Grand Theft Auto Six came out, and they were like, "Oh, those are those are old. That's not what the game's going to be." And then this trailer basically shows that that's exactly what this game is going to be. <laughs> um, so I get it. If Wolverine really just is not in a spot to be shown in any real manner, they won't do it. But if it's anywhere far enough along for them to cut together a trailer that kind of showcases and gets ahead of the leaks, it I see that as a as a very real possibility. Um, I first of all, I would say that I do think the game has got to be in a position to show something eventually soon because it's supposed to come out next year, but. I think that they ever was, date it. I could have sworn they said it was next year. Not not them. It was. I don't remember where I heard that. Now that I'm saying it out loud, uh, didn't they in put November? In, some, in, in November, this is just throwing it out there. In November, Game Rant has a thing where there was a rumor that the game is uh, is likely to be released in 2025. I mean, that's what I think. I could have sworn they said something, but. and it said it was likely delayed to allow Insomniac extra time to finish Spider Man Two. Interesting. Either way, um, I don't. Either way, I don't think this is going to happen because I don't think Sony has shown a propensity to even show their games, let alone show them before they plan to show them. But this also it wasn't a trailer; it was blurry screenshots that, like, you know, I'm sure somebody with a UE5 subscription could make. So, sure. I don't. I don't think they'll touch it. I think they'll just be like, "Eh, congratulations, you saw that." the back of Wolverine and that's it. So sure. Um, I think I kind of want to end. Well, first of all, I want to make an announcement real quick. So velvet's corner is in an interesting spot. Of course, I, I think this is very worth pointing out velvet as a single man spent months making sure that there was something every week for this segment that we kind of thrust upon him 
And I think he took it in great sport and he did it and he's still willing to do it sometimes. He but didn't have to do for the record. Absolutely clear, didn't have to do. There was never any pressure from us. I hope yes. he doesn't feel that there was to do it. He and we just, go uh, yeah, he go ahead, started. Go ahead. He's he did it so often that it was like we bequeathed him the segment, but we appreciated it every time we had it. But it was never Yeah, I think a, he, he went almost a full year. Before yeah. he really started to peter out. And I think that that's fair. So what I want to do is I there are people that I know really enjoyed the Velvet's Corner. And I know there are people that it was not their cup of tea. And that is fine. That's why we always left it at the end of the show. And this is what's going to happen. So with him being in a position where it's, of course, it continues to take, it starts to take more and more of a toll when you're the only person having to do this. We want to extend the opportunity to the audience to say Velvet's Corner will be a segment as long as you, the listener, wants it to be one and you, the listener, take it upon yourself to send in prompts. It doesn't matter if it's a question that just has a goofy premise. If it's a game show, it can be anything you want. Chris, do you want to chime in real quick? Yeah. I If we're opening it up, I don't even need it to be his structure, right? No, not at all. If you're yeah. having relationship problems, send that shit in. Yeah, it can be Velvet's, whatever you want it to be. Velvet's Corner is just about becoming unhinged and right. having some goofy fun on the show. Velvet's and, Corner is a polyamorous segment. <laughs> <laughs> so with that in mind, we want to keep uh, – sometimes segments come and go. It's the nature of a show. But this was a – this was essentially a fan-created segment that I, we thrusted upon them by, by being – I basically, I was a dumbass and made a theme song for something Chris said. <laughs> That's what happened. And <clears throat> yep, he took much. it and he ran with it. And we were very appreciative. And we know that there are those that don't like it. So I won't spend too much long on this. Uh, it's the nature of any given part of a show. But if you are a person that likes it and you want to see it continue, any listener, we're opening the floor to you. Send weekly, daily, whatever you want to do. Send prompts. We will go through them. We'll choose one. If we get a backlog of them, great. We have a, bu- a bunch to go through. And we'll keep the section alive as long as you want it and as long as y'all will do the community work to make it happen. The beauty of the segment is that it is community thought out. And yes, that was being done by one community member for a long time. But there was a lot of really great feedback when it first started and it's continued to be of people liking the section, missing the section. Um, so since it's been a little while without it, spoiler alert, there's not one this week. We, I've talked with Velvet about it. He knows we're very appreciative of everything he's done. We want to make sure that there's no pressure on him. And he very well may continue to send prompts when he feels like he has something he wants to do. Uh, but we want to kind of keep it in spirit and let it morph into this beautiful thing that's just honoring this very ridiculous tradition that started <laughs> uh, and, and has become... I, for everything that everyone else like, it, it's one of my favorite parts of the show just because of how ridiculous it is. And, and right. th- we know that's not for everyone. And some people want to hear us talk about games specifically here. Um, but I think it's a, it's a fun palate cleanser that sometimes is still game related to just be able to kind of end the episode on some goofiness. You know, it, it plays to my sensibilities as a human and what I like as a person. And it's maybe fun. one of us will come up with a segment. That, yeah, we may do it here and there. Yeah. yeah. So uh, with all that in mind, we just wanted to extend that out to you. And uh, everybody, if you if you have it in your heart, take to everywhere. I want to see any kind of love. If you like the Velvet's Corner, send in love for Velvet. He did a lot of hard work to keep that, sh- that section of the show going for a long time, and we appreciate it. Uh, but I want to take a second now, before we transition kind of into recapping, and I, I, 
I want to be honest. I don't know that I have a lot of interest in recapping the Game Awards, but I do want to discuss the Game Awards and kind of offer many reviews of how we felt about it as an event, uh, as well as some of the highlights for us as individuals. Um, but uh, as we go into talking about the Game Awards, I kind of want to, we were just talking about Grand Theft Auto and Somniac and these ideas of leaks and how things came early. And I think there's a really great question that kind of acts as a bridge to these. So Sweet Gran Turismo Gones, yeah, Sweet Gran Turismo Jones, one of the longest listeners of the show, uh, took to Twitter to ask us, or X rather, to ask us, how dirty did Rockstar do the Game Awards? And he put a smiling <laughs> emoji. And what do you expect to see trailer-wise? Now, of course, this was before the trailer came out. I'm predicting Spider-Man 2, uh, or before the Game Awards, but uh, I'm predicting Spider-Man 2 DLC and whatever the next PlayStation game to get the marketing push besides Helldivers. Also, some Death Stranding 2 because Jeff is gay for Gojima. <laughs> Not far off. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about... Jeff and Kojima and how that really got a very different treatment than a lot of other people at the game awards here in a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But the root of the question, we'll talk a little bit about what we thought about what we, about what was shown uh, since we can't really predict, but the first and most important question, how dirty do you think rockstar did the game awards by not letting Grand Theft Auto 6 be part of what some people call the biggest night in gaming now since E3 is, uh, unfortunately, I guess that's a, a that's news that we can put in here. Oh, E3 yeah, is gone. E3 is dead. E3 is officially dead. We can take a second to mourn the loss of something that I think many of us growing up felt like we would always have. Yep. Uh, it's quality wavered a whole lot. But I'm, I'm going to be honest, even the worst E3s were just a fun time of the year. Mm-hmm. They always lined up on my birthday, some of my favorite game announcements ever, and some of my favorite moments watching a show and it has happened there. And here's my actual favorite part. And it was highlighted grossly well uh, with both the Game Awards and Summer Game of Fest. Uh, considering the fact that some random stuff can still happen during those two events... <coughs> There is a very human element missing from Jeff Keighley's shows where even the things that are meant to give you this feeling of humanity are so forced and so scripted usually that they can't land correctly because they just feel like they constricted this thing to make one of the most unhuman you know, products that you've ever seen. Something I really liked about either it was just crazy shit and like... I, people bring it up as part of the console war, but it's very funny to hear stories from Adam Boyle and uh, Shuhei where they were backstage before the presentation and quickly filmed the, hey, can I borrow that game? Sure. <laughs> like, that's great. And that only <clears throat> happens in a type of event like E3 where it's structured, but it's chaos. <laughs> and some of my favorite moments in gaming happen there. And it's, some of them were goofy and humiliating, but that's what made them so fun. Every time I watch the Ridge Racer, it's <laughs> funny. And it's, it's it made me like Cause a lot more. And I don't feel accurate. like that same thing happens in events like Summer Game Fest and these individual showcases from uh, publishers and, of course, the Game Awards themselves. So um, how dirty did Rockstar do the Game Awards, all things given? Um, I mean... I guess it depends on perspective because I think if you have paid attention to Rockstar, you knew Grand Theft Auto 6 was not being shown at the Game Awards. 
I, I had no illusion that that was going to be the but case. To me, it was announcing that they were showing their trailer two days before the Game Awards was where I was like, that that to me, because I think I said it on this show where I'm like, if Rockstar likes Jeff, they will not announce when their trailer is coming out until after the Game Awards. Sure. You know, so that was always my take is they were very much like, uh, we don't care about you. We don't care about your show. Here, Here's our trailer. Because they could have waited and then Jeff would have probably gotten another 50 million viewers just hoping to see a little glimpse of the game. So, yeah. Pretty dirty. I, I, I think it's interesting, but I think it highlights the same reason that E3 is dead. The reality is that Rockstar didn't need E3 in 2013, 12, when they announced Grand Theft Auto 5 on YouTube with a random trailer one random day. I remember walking into GameStop to talk to one of my buddies that still worked there after I had quit. Uh, or I, uh, Oh, no, I was, it was like my last couple of weeks working there. And I walk in and my boss, also friend, Justin, looks at me and goes, dude, you'll never believe what just happened. And then, of course, he puts on this. He doesn't tell me what the hell's going on. He just turns the TV that we had to test consoles on, plugs a console up to it, and then starts playing the trailer. And he's like, dude. And I'm not <laughs> even a Grand Theft Auto fan, but I remember thinking, why the hell would they t- would they show this when E3 is like right here? <laughs> and, it, and it blew my mind. And I think it goes to show that Rockstar have known for a long time that they don't need any of these event showcases. No. Rockstar is too big. They don't need any of that. And it's the exact reason that Sony gets to go, yeah, PlayStation, we don't need E3 for PlayStation to be successful. We don't need E3 to show what we want to show. We can do it on our own terms. Nintendo well. did it. Xbox did it. Everybody. So, yeah, he did them dirty, but, or they did them dirty, but. Is where we are. It, it's not surprising, but I'm sure that Jeff would have absolutely loved to have had that be the one last game. Oh, one could you last imagine? world premiere. He, yeah. he would have been having because Jeff, Jeff, when Jeff knows he's got a banger, you can see it on his face when he's like this. This world premiere, like you can tell. I think if you really watch it, because this is the first time I've ever like live put it on the TV and didn't do anything else. And sure. you, I think you can, if you watch Jeff when he's about to show a world premiere, you can tell if he's interested in the game. And that would have been one of the times where that dude would have been like cheesing his smile to the max, like super excited, you know? So I think obviously he would have loved it to be there, but alas, alas, bad timing, I guess. <laughs> I think purposeful timing. I was just they quoting wanted, the trailer. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. They wanted very clearly to own the news cycle with no extra clutter. And that's what they did. But <laughs> that's the thing, right? Does Rockstar not understand that they are the extra clutter? <laughs> are they? Well, Yes. That's like being in a bedroom where you have a bed 
and then a bunch of small boxes of like makeup and hairbrushes and random shit. And then you go, this bed <clears throat> is the clutter in here. Well, okay. <laughs> what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that to everyone else, Rockstar is the extra clutter, right? You talking about developer wise? The yes, because Rockstar, okay, if in your metaphor, Rockstar is the bed, but the games industry as a Rockstar is like a king size, like a California king. It's a Serta. It's got memory foam. It's the most comfortable bed of all time. And then the rest of the industry is just a bunch of twin beds. <laughs> right? That's what I mean by that. Look, I, I get you, <laughs> but I just think it's there, there's a certain funny irony to hearing someone say that the absolute biggest thing that's happened in the last week is is the clutter? <laughs> I get what I was. What yes, I see your it, point. You're, you're right from a, from a certain perspective. Everyone else was like, "Please don't show anything. Please don't show anything." <laughs> My bigger point is that Rockstar puts out the GTA Six trailer. It doesn't matter what else happened. Exactly. So they could and have been the at the Game Awards, and that dev. would have been the only show, the only thing talked but about. You know, so. that there was a dev who was like, "This is one of their first games ever," and it was getting shown at the Game Awards. And as soon as Rockstar was like, "Yeah, we're dropping a trailer on the six they were like, "Fuck!" <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm sure a lot of them are fans of Rockstar. So the the part of them that's fans of Rockstar is like, "Hell yeah!" And then the part of them that's like wanting their game to get some kind of chance to have a a time in the media window is like. Yeah. That's probably not good. <laughs> oh no, my 2D platformer telling the story of Thanksgiving is over. <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's a weird thing, but that's just uh kind of where we are. Uh that said, I do have um a link that you posted from Polygon, uh kind of going over the different trailers and the different games and stuff that were shown. And if we need to reference that, I will. But I think what I'd really rather do at this junction, Chris, is kind of give a loose review about the event itself. And what your highlights were. And so, you know, talk about the positives of it, the negatives of it, if you feel like there are any, and then just what actual highlights stood out. And I want to make it really clear that there are going to be critiques that we have. And I think that there can be a very fine line between critiquing something and feeling like what you're doing is spending all of your time making sure that you can point out the bad things. Uh, but I think it's worth saying that that's not what we're aiming to do. And I think I can clearly say that because I have a strong feeling that Chris will have very positive things to say about the event uh, as, as well as I do. But I think that as long as we're mixing those positive things and talking about the positives while also acknowledging the things that could probably be done better, um, I don't think that that's really focusing negativity because, you know, well, I, I do think when you don't like something and if you spend all your time talking about how much you hate it, that is a drain on you as an individual creator. It's a drain on people trying to listen to you. And clearly that's not what our intent is here. Go well, ahead, I think, Why don't we just, you know, Brett, you know that I like my dessert first. So why don't we just talk about the positives and then maybe we can break into the negatives after that way. It's at least the happiness is front loaded before we talk about how disrespectful I, it was. And I know <laughs> someone's going to be like, why wouldn't you talk about the negatives first and then wrap it up with the positives? Look, there's no real, there's no right or wrong way to do this. Someone's going to be upset. Yeah. If they cared this much about it, but I think we know what we're doing. We know that we're going into this with real intent behind what we're talking about. So yeah, let's let 
you kind of give your spiel of how of the positives that you think that came out of the event uh, and again with that i guess the highlights of games that you felt like were there and then i'll take over and then we'll kind of collectively talk about the things that we feel like could be done better and we'll wrap the show up um i mean i don't know i guess there was a lot of games that i was really looking forward to like just looking at the list you know obviously pony island 2 like holy shit <laughs> what a name have you not played pony island no, I thought I'm not even going to lie to you. I thought that that entire game, this goes to show. Yeah, I have no clue what Pony Island was. Oh, you should play but, Pony Island. It's crazy. Am I? Oh, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I thought he was just being kind of like the 100%, which I'm glad to hear there is one. I thought he was doing the Goat Simulator 3 thing where they were just no, like just skipping. Yeah, where it's just like, fuck it. We're just going to make a game and call the first game in the title 2. Um. You know, first game in the series, which would yeah. have also been hilarious, just to throw that out there. Um, I thought that Windblown looked really cool. The uh, okay. next, that was the next one from uh, Motion Twin. Duh, that, that game looks great. incredible. Yeah, looks so cool. It gave me uh, Happy Tree Friends vibes a little bit. Interesting, interesting. I thought the I, art style was really interesting. I thought it was crazy kind of seeing them move away from the more side-scroller aspects of yeah. Dead Cells into a more Hades-like Hades, take. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking, too. Um, okay, I thought this trailer was weird. I hope this isn't part of the negatives, but they acted... Uh, am I cra- is World of Goo some big franchise that I... Because the way they talked <laughs> about it, I kept watching that trailer like what the fuck is this? And then they were like, oh, it's back. 15 years, it's back. World of Goo 2. Yeah. This game looks cool, but what the fuck are you building up this much for? (laughs) So I absolutely didn't know what World of Goo was. And while it was there, everybody else was like, what is this? And I was like, well, this is World of Goo. Like, I know what this is. I played the original, and it is a good game, just to throw that out there. But yeah, you would have thought that they were like, bringing back like i'm trying to even this is like bully to like legacy like of after, Kane or something after like that. 18 years of no sequel right here it comes the wheels oh, are set in motion boy. yeah <laughs> um, but, uh, actually a good trailer it looks pretty good <laughs> it looks but fine um, our, what i'll say is the game looks good the actual trailer it, it it was an interesting choice. I will say that much. It felt yeah. a little self-flagulatory, um, you know, like, we're going to really lift ourselves up here. But go ahead. It was kind of, it's kind of like someone thinking it's really impressive to suck their own dick, but nobody's watching. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm kind of just going through it, but I mean, I was impressed by a lot of it. Like, Metaphor Refantasio, I thought looked so fun. I cannot wait to play that game, including Persona 3 Reloaded I'm excited for. Microsoft having advertising rights for Persona is so weird. Like Persona 3 having the Xbox branding on it, sure. I was like, this mm-hmm. is odd. I'm very curious to see what will happen with Persona 6. Clearly not exclusive. They basically said that, but <clears throat> interesting. I was extremely happy to see the gun. Because I hope that you get they your personas the, the same way. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it, but 
but seeing the god made me go okay they're not they might not be changing that yeah um, i won't spoil it either but one of the coolest things in games so in, in terms of sick. sheer visual like in, in conceptual nature but <laughs> do you think they'll ever remake persona 2 with our favorite character hitler <laughs> i never say never it is atlas they could do it um dude okay i know you're into this game fucking prince of persia looks so good dude it looks incredible <laughs> i was saying that when they originally announced it yeah I thought, I, I, this looks incredible and a lot of people i saw kind of crapping on it being like this is not what i wanted and i guess that that's the problem is that it's people wanting something more akin to the prince of persia they grew up with um but honestly dude this is more like original Prince of Persia, yeah. but with a much faster p- a pace and still a very stylistic edge to it. This looks so fun. I can't it wait. Looks, I'm excited. Oh, man, dude. Yeah, I, I'm incredibly excited for it. And there was actually another game that I'm skipping on the name of, unfortunately, that had a very similar design structure that they showed that was a new game from oh, a I don't new know. studio. Uh, and I was, was like, it the one with the guy? I think the African garb. Was you talking about him? Yes, that yeah, was exactly I don't what it was. What the name I don't was, know the name of did. that game either, but it looked really good. Can we talk about how Matthew McConaughey announced his involvement in a game that looks really cool in Exodus and then was not in the trailer. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what? what? Mm-hmm. Uh, I like seeing actors. I, maybe that's something we'll get into in our negatives, but I thought, the, I think uh, we will. I, I don't think this the, is where uh, I want to go into it. The pew, pew, pew. I thought that was really cringy. <laughs> I was like, just yep. fucking say, all right, all right, all right. That's who you are. You've been that way since the 80s with Days and Confused. You don't need to do this like the pew. You can't make pew sexy, dog. Like, move forward. He tried. He gave he it a real try. college effort, yeah. The um, the one takeaway I had from The Big Walk, which I'm moving into a different game now, that was um, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. That's the only thing I could get off that game was Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. I'm not even sure if I remember what game you're talking about. So that was like the ones it's like uh, almost claymation. I don't, it was the goose game guys. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that game was very weird. I didn't um, catch that. That's the problem of playing, uh, of playing Yu-Gi-Oh! We're doing it. I saw the trailer, but I didn't catch that. It was from house house. Yeah. So I remember um, seeing the trailer and being like, what the fuck is this art style? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know where you want me to go other than, continuing to just go through the list because well look so you have you have your games and i think that that's worse because that's the highlights of games um but as an event what do you think the positives were in terms of i mean it it can be grand scheme of like the quantity of games the quality seemingly of the games or certain games getting a chance to be celebrated in a specific way like i want to look at it as a whole picture of like what do we think was the good of the event as a whole not just what it brought to us from an announcement standpoint because i think that that's going to be somewhat into the conversation of the negatives um is that there is a it, it is there's an unfortunate skew towards trying to act as though this is an awards event going as far as to put that in the name, but then making sure that 70% of the event, if not more has nothing to do with awards and actively swaying away from allowing award winners to be able to do anything with that. So, um, 
you know, take a second to any positive note about the show that you want to shout out. Go ahead and do so. I'll do the same. Um, anything you've already covered, of course, I'll I won't retread. But. I mean, I don't know. I think <laughs> it's hard because for me, the games were the positives, right? Because sure. that's what I was there for, and I think they did a good job of it. You know, we'll talk about some of the other stuff that was a little weird, but like, I'm sorry, I wasn't watching that show to see who won best esports coach you know like i get it like those people care and i'm happy for those people to care and be happy about that but i wasn't there for it so that's where i think the problem with the game awards arises is nobody's there for the awards but we're trying to give out awards you know? Yeah. Now, when you say no one's there, you mean audience, not necessarily attendees nope. or developers, right? Yeah, I it's mean, like, attendees and developers are sure. there for the awards, sure. sure. But I'm sorry. I'm not spending a Tuesday or whatever day it was watching the Game Awards because I want to see who gets Game of the Year. Because guess what? I'll find out 30 seconds after you do when IGN posts it. Like I was there to see the trailers live and to be in our discord talking to the people who were watching it live with me, you know, like I, I, I'm happy. And I was extremely, when Baldur's Gate swept, I was like, this is fucking awesome. But like that was, so you did have investment in the thing, but I think you're reaching what I think that he's trying to do with it. But I think what's happened is that the earlier years have also had their own problems, like musical acts that did not tie in at all to what was happening. Like when they had the um, Ray Sumred or whatever the hell their names Ray Shrummond. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They had stuff like that, right? Where it's like, it doesn't even feel like it has anything to do with gaming. It's just trying to be an event. It's trying to be like a Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah. that happened, but I think the earlier days of the event had a little bit better of a balance of like, well, we're, we are here to celebrate games and what happened in the industry, but we're also here to show about the future of the industry and what's coming. And I think that you're absolutely right. There's a large contingency of the population that is watching the event. Or This is what I'd say. The trailers and new things coming are what draws them to the event. And then by nature of also generally being invested in games, they tend to enjoy seeing games that they played that year win awards and give a a chance for the people that made them to be able to talk about what went into making them. Um, So it's it's a bit of both, right? It's like the... The announcements are the $5 rotisserie chicken that they put on the thing to, it's a loss leader that they put out for you to get you into the store so that you'll buy everything else. That's what it is. They're they're essentially tricking the audience by being like, hey, we're going to show you some new stuff, but also we're going to celebrate games. And the early days had a little bit more of that vibe, despite some problems. But I think what's happened is in the last few years, it's very much shifted towards being like, hey, we are giving awards. And I, I understand that you may not be interested in something that's more award heavy and that's fair. It's a completely fair thing. And that's why you probably, and I tend to not watch dice or the uh, the golden joysticks. Um, sometimes I do because sometimes I am interested to see what wins, but oftentimes I don't. So with that in mind, the event can be two things, I think. And I think it probably even should be considering what it's attempting to be. Um, mm-hmm. 
But at the same time, I think if you're going to put the game awards in your name, there there is a little bit of an impetus on you to try and actively be like, yeah, the awards are an important part of this. And I think a lot of the uh, complaints, and I, I'm going to back off for a second because I want to talk about some of the good on my side as well, standout games. Uh, but I think where some of the starts, uh, some of the stuff starts with the negatives is strictly from a standpoint of you call yourself the game awards and you actively shy away from giving awards on camera if you can. And even if you give them on camera, you're running through five awards in 30 seconds and it, it's stuff like that. So we'll get into that in just a minute because I do, you clearly have some disagreements with uh, how I've posited it. And I want to get to that in a second. But continuing on the, um, the positives note, um, I thought it was really fun of them to bring Chris Judge back to be the person to give the award for the mm-hmm. same thing that he gave the very long speech to. Uh, and I also <clears throat> like that not only did they seemingly give him uh, the ability to come back and do that, they gave him a fair amount of leniency to just kind of have fun with it and be able to poke fun at himself, uh, which is cool. I think that, that was good for everything involved. It's kind of a a self-referential to the Game Awards. It's like part of the Game Awards lore that he's moving (laughs) forward and doing something. Um, So I thought that was cool. Uh, I loved seeing certain people just go full blast into it. Like I loved when the thing started and you see the camera swoon over and I saw the, the Larian studio head and I was like, that motherfucker is wearing a suit of armor. Yeah, it was awesome. And everyone else at the table is like, look at this guy in the armor. I was like, I feel compelled to tell you that that's Larian's head. <laughs> like <laughs> you need to understand why that's so funny. Big Sven. Um, yeah, so I thought that was cool. I, I love that. I thought that the uh, the general vibe of the night that was coming through on camera was pretty well. I actually thought that it was, it seemed uh, jovial at times when it really needed to, and I think it felt serious at the times where it really needed to. And I think that they really hit a stride with making sure that the musical numbers tie heavily into games that are either out that year or doing like they do with the symphony orchestra and coming up with cool medleys that continuously use the themes of each major player in the awards that year to do something neat and interesting. Um, I love that. I also think that Jeff was incredibly smart to undersell the event this year. Cause I, I noticed a lot. He was like, well, you know, there's, there's some new stuff. We've, we've got some, but you know, don't come into this expecting a number of crazy world premieres. They talked about how they were going to move away from using the world premiere pre- like tagline ahead of time. The event seemed to be paced much better in terms of how long it actually took the event. Um, and generally speaking, I was happy with what was shown and I was happy uh, with the awards that did get a chance to kind of exist in the limelight. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. There are negatives within almost every aspect of what I just said on the positive, but I do think overall I enjoyed watching the event, which is the goal. It is a piece of entertainment at the end of the day. Um, and I think it succeeded in that. A uh, couple games I want to shout out. I thought it was really cool for Sega to tease their five plus games that are being remade. That was so I, awesome. Dude, I know that you were like super stoked the fact that I know that you want Jet Set Future, uh-huh. but Jet Set Radio being remade is fucking awesome. Well, they said Crazy it was a taxi. new entry, right? It's not a well, remake. I could have sworn. <sighs> The way that this has been being moved around is kind of weird. I think it may also be, but some people are saying it's meant to just be like remakes, bringing. But I think it's meant to be like reimaginings. Like you're bringing these games to a modern audience. Yeah. So when I saw Yo-Yo. I was like, oh yes, <laughs> dude. Yeah, and I think I love that they said and more. 
And yeah. I'm trying not to let my fanboy get the most of me, but I feel like this is a very obvious chance for Sonic Adventure to either get one and two remade or pushed together into one game or outright a Sonic Adventure 3 because people have been asking for it. Dude. They've made references to Sonic Adventure 3 a lot. And the cre- and head of a Sonic team has on multiple occasions said he would like to do a Sonic Adventure 3, but they want to make sure that before they do it, they feel like they have a grasp on what people want from a 3D Sonic game again. And Frontiers, I think, proved from a sales standpoint and general uh, fan feedback that it was a close enough start that if they can continue to build off of that, they have what people want in a 3D Sonic now. If they can, and they can continue to refine that. We just want the Chow Garden. <laughs> give, give me the Chow! Well, dude, here's the thing, right? It's insane to me in this day and age that there is no standalone Chow Garden game. Phone game, yeah. Phone game, console game, like a Tamagotchi's Stardew Valley. Dude, a fucking um, a Niantic Chow Garden game. That's Pokemon oh, Go, but you're just walking just around chows? with the Chows. And you still have, like, you, as you raise them and you catch some of the other animals that you can help feed them to adjust their traits, Dude, you can actually expand it. race them with other people yeah. like you could Think on the Think about Dream it game. as, like, a workout app where you're like, okay, now to get your Sonic up to, like, Angel 6, you have to run a mile. <laughs> you have to do this mile under or, 13 or minutes you can, or it's over. Or you can walk a mile, but it's like the faster you can get it done, the faster your guy can, yeah. Right. Bonus points, that would be a great game. Sadly, it wasn't shown at the Game Awards. <laughs> yeah, that would be really out? cool. I love that. The, I, I just love <clears throat> seeing Sega kind of be like, "Yeah, our our old IP matters to us," and we're yeah. gonna because, dude, the Golden Axe game that they were showing in there looked cool. It I was did. like, "There's no fucking way!" Like, this looks awesome. So I'm really excited to see what they do with that. I think there's a lot to do there. Um, I think the Jurassic Park survival game is actually a fucking phenomenal idea. And the fact that no one has done that up to this point kind of blows my mind. But I didn't even know I wanted it until they showed it. And I thought, what a perfect, what a perfect IP to Mm -hmm. do this with. It's literally a great idea. And I know Ark is kind of doing the dinosaur survival game. Not well. But it, well, a lot of people love Ark. I haven't played it. I don't want to have a comment on it. But I still think that Jurassic Park's take on dinosaurs is going to be vastly different than Ark. Oh, yeah, so. definitely. I do think the one weird thing about that game is all the footage of what seemed to be gameplay was shown in first person, but then mm-hmm. they announced it as a third person game. Yeah, I thought that was an odd thing, but I don't know because I, I've gotten to the point where I just hope that every game that kind of has that does the same thing that, uh, cyberpunk did where it's like well we're third person now we're first person (laughs) yeah but i have a clear bias towards first person games i tend to like a lot of them it depends on what the game is but anything where you like survival games make sense in first person to me because it is an immersive sim you're cutting down trees to build what you need so it's like the forest and Sons of the Forest being first person and even Ark being first person, Conan being uh, playable in either form if you want is also cool. So uh, it's not a necessity and I've liked plenty of third person survival games, but I'm also excited for it to be first person. Um, Dude, is this, I'm watching the Sega trailer again. Is that uh, Okami in there too? No, no, no. Okami's Capcom. Oh, okay. I saw yeah. a dog. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to watch it again to know what maybe 
flagging you. Um, I'm trying to remember what all the games were, but I know that there was uh, clearly a Golden Axe, clearly Crazy Taxi, clearly Jet Set. It was, um, um, oh, sorry, I just clicked on the wrong thing. Uh, Jet Set, Shinobi, Golden Axe, Streets of Rage, Shinobi. Crazy Taxi, and more. Yeah. Yeah, Shinobi was the other one. Uh, awesome. That's a that's a cool lineup of games. A uh, couple more shout-outs I want to do from a game standpoint. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. I wish I could. I want to see if I can quickly look at it. Um, it was Berserker of... The, f- uh, the first Berserker, Kazan. Of Kazan. Yeah, dude, that game looks <clears throat> sick. It does look sick. It looks like old-school God of War with some extra layers on it and I'm all down for that. Like that looks so good. I think that's incredibly cool. Yeah, um, I love that trailer. So that was a really cool one. I thought gameplay wise that really struck a chord with me. Of course, the Dead Cells game that we talked about. Um I want to highlight how cool it was to see Sean Murray on stage again. Dude, announcing a new game. But why did he do it again? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't I don't think he's done it again. I but do. Anyone anyone who looks at me and says I'm wary, I can't blame them. You know what we I mean? We made Earth, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but idealistically it's cool but here's the thing i enjoyed no man's sky for what it was but i got my fun out of it and i've tried going back to it a number of times and i have a really hard time sticking with it i I think it's a great game idea and i'm glad that it exists and that people tend to enjoy it um so i'm a little worried that i'm gonna have the same problem here but my hope is that since it's supposed to be a single planet and it's not trying to be this incredibly huge thing, and it's mixing a couple more styles, that this might have a little bit more of uh, a pull for me. And it's multiplayer from day one. It's intended to be played with a group of people. I can see this being very fun, but I think it. there's a lot of questions I have for it from a gameplay standpoint. Um, but I want to note how fucking cool it is that it's called Light No Fire, and it clearly references the No Man's Sky logo. I just think it's cool. I like that they're kind of like building a mythos for their <laughs> their game style. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they did The Last Campfire, which was an excellent game as well. Um, it's just interesting to see how they've continued to progress as a studio, uh, an independent studio, mind you. So it, it's cool to see. And I would have thought that I'd never see Sean Murray on on stage again. And yet there we go. We, we had it. So I, I hope for all hoping that this man does not repeat any of the mistakes that he made. I I think everyone is willing to forgive him for No Man's Sky. He's rather young. It was a lot of pressure. A lot of stuff happened. I think he still made a lot of mistakes with No Man's Sky and how he chose <clears> to talk about it. But I think he meant well. <laughs> but at this point, I think, if, if you know, What's the old George Bush thing? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't shame. Can't fool me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, um, no, that was cool. You know. Yeah, I thought that was good. Um, the last game that kind of comes to mind, uh, there's, there's really two, and then there's comment around that. But the last game that's not a major player that I thought was kind of new that I thought looked interesting, but I also wish I knew more about was the Last Sentinel. I thought it looked yeah. really interesting visually. Uh, and then lastly, of course, Monster Hunter coming back around uh, with Monster Hunter Wilds. MHW. But this brings us to a middle ground point, which will act as a good segue into some of the more negative thoughts that we had. Um, 
Oh, boy. I thought a problem I have had, so this is an individual. I, I will say that out there. This is a problem for me. Uh, but I am curious to see how many people agree. I've gotten, I've grown weary of how they've chosen to show a lot of games. And I think a lot of the, what could have been bombshell announcements uh, were really just either CGI trailers or in-engine trailers that did not do enough to explain to me how the game plays. Now, Monster Hunter Wilds has a very easy getaway. It was clearly in-engine. It clearly gives you an idea of a new map, a uh, much larger scale. But I would have liked to have seen what they're actually doing from a gameplay se- uh, standpoint that sets Wilds apart from World and Rise. Like, I want to see how they're pushing that series forward. And I think that it would have been much more interesting to see that than just seeing a little in-engine trailer that gives you some hints and then says Monster Hunter Wilds. Like, don't wrong, it's not the end of the world. And thankfully, it's a series that has been long-standing and long-running. And we have a rough idea of how it's going to play. I know I'm going to play it. It's Monster Hunter. I like all the Monster Hunter games. There's literally not been a Monster Hunter game I've not liked. With that in mind, I still would have liked to see it. But it's a much bigger problem for me with games like The Last Sentinel, where I want to like it, but I struggle to know if it's even going to be in my sensibilities. And I'm of two minds about that, because I think one of the benefits that you get from that is the ability to be like, well, since I don't know what it is, I'm not immediately discounting it so maybe i can try something that i would normally wouldn't and enjoy it and become a new fan of something but at the same time i think it's a lot easier to get excited about something when you have some idea of what it is and how it plays um and unfortunately we i think we've we've fortunately we've moved away from cgi heavy trailers to more in-engine trailers, but I think that that's just a baby step towards what i really want to see as an individual which is i want to see them mixed trailer with gameplay much like we saw with motion twins new game Mm -hmm. where it's like cool we're going to show you cutscenes in these clearly animated sections that are not going to be what the game is maybe it'll be cutscenes, but then we're going to show you gameplay of what the game looks like in motion we'll show you where the camera sits and how you can expect to play it and clearly reference that it's a roguelite bam you got what you need out of it and i can be excited about that game for a number of reasons rather than just well the the trailer was cool even though it didn't give me any information about what to expect outside of maybe what the world looks like and potentially what the story may hold um you have any thoughts on that chris or are you ultimately like if it's in engine you're kind of happy enough or because i know back whenever the xbox thing happened we were both kind of cg trailers are a problem and they're happening too frequently are you still of that mind or do you feel like we're in a good in between right now um i think yeah i mean i would always take gameplay that would always be the ideal um i think it depends you know i was less excited for stuff like last sentinel because it didn't show me anything Mm-hmm. And I was ex- I was happy when Hellblade actually showed that there's a game in there, you know. So I do think that gameplay. I think gameplay raises the the stakes for me as someone watching the trailers. Where I'm like, sit up a little, little higher in the seat, you know, pay a little bit more attention if there's clearly gameplay. So, mm-hmm. well, it's like. Blade felt like one of the closest things to a bombshell announcement for me. And it's funny because it had nothing to do with the fact that it was Blade. It had to do with the fact that it was Arcane Leon. And so then I started going to this thing of like, yeah, I still would have really liked to have seen, definitely since they made it a point to come up on stage and have him look at the camera and say, third person immersive game. And I was like, huh. I would have really loved to have gotten to see what that looks like. What 
is a little snippet of an arcane third person game because there's not a lot of those. Like even even arcane before Dishonored uh, was like arcane. It was a what was it called? Uh, Warriors of Might and Magic or whatever the hell it was called. Uh, Dark know. Messiah. Um, yeah. So it's like. It was a first-person game where you ran around and did melee against creatures, and it was just it's, they they have not done third-person games really, so it's interesting to see that um, be where they're pivoting to. So I would have loved to have seen that, and I think it would have made what felt like a bombshell announcement to me even more of a bombshell because like then I get to get a look at what it is and I can be even more excited. But in effect, it got me excited. It did its job. It's just there's a better version of it that I'm being a little greedy of wishing I would have gotten. Yeah, I will say I did like the style of that trailer. That music was pretty fucking good. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna pl- I'm gonna play I, that game. So I'm not gonna lie. At first, whenever it saw, I knew it was arcane. That mm. was obvious, and they showed that it was arcane. To be fair, but I knew it was arcane visually. If I would have missed that, I'd been like, this is arcane. But when I saw when it was clear before even anything happened that it was a vampire because of how he was acting and he knew it was a vampire, I was like, oh, dude, is this? Is this fucking Redfall? <laughs> I would. I was like, I was like, this would be a bold ass move to have a new Redfall trailer in the middle of the Game Awards or a Redfall sequel or Redfall DLC or whatever. I was like, that's bold, but it would have been interesting because it might be a redeeming moment for them to be like, hey, you know that game that everybody thought was bad? Here's update 2.0, just like Cyberpunk, bitch. The game is exactly what we wanted. Here's new content coming. Here's this new DLC that's free for everybody who already bought the game. It's like. That could be a pretty cool move, but that's clearly not what we got. <laughs> yeah. So, um, quickly, uh, you know, we're, we're two and a, we're two hours fifteen minutes into this right now, so let's let's try and take the fifteen minutes or so to wrap up what we think was the negatives of the show. And since you started with what you thought was the positives, I think what are the aspects of the show you wish had been different, and what would make them better for you, and what do you think would make them better for the general audience? Um, I think what I, my main takeaway is that I want to see Jeff stop reacting to people online because that's interesting. So you're talking about how after the event, he started referencing no, 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 that, that or yes, but I don't think talking about it afterwards. Right. But here's the thing this year. Everyone is really upset that developers didn't get enough time to talk. Sure. A couple of years ago, it was the developers are talking too much. Christopher Judge lasted eight minutes. What are we doing here? So sure. Jeff overcorrects <clears throat> and he gets to the it got to the point where, you know, when Larian is up there collecting their award for game of the year and talking about the friends they lost. I know I'm not making any fresh points here, but the friends they lost and the sacrifices they made. And then he's immediately playing fucking elevator music to kick them off. You know, I'm like, maybe just run the show the way you want to run the show because he's listening and trying to adjust and he's over adjusting. You know, I think anyone watching that show last year knows that Christopher judge needed to get the fuck off the stage. But giving people 30 seconds and then playing music. And I think the biggest problem for me with the music was that it didn't fade up. It was like, have you, you know, when you you're driving home and you've got like 
I don't know, like some fucking heavy metal going, you're listening to Spirit Box, you've got it tranked up to 30, and you get home, you take the keys out and you get out, you plug your phone in the next day and scare the shit out of yourself because the music's too loud. <laughs> That's how the walkout music felt. Yeah. Right. We're after, like it was immediately at, at 30. Yeah. It was it was like <sighs> it wasn't there, and then all of a sudden you couldn't hear the person talking. Yeah. You know, I think it would have been totally acceptable if at 30 seconds this music started building up to the point where, okay, you're at a minute, it's getting pretty loud, you're at a minute and a half, we can't hear you anymore, and it says, please wrap it up, right? But when you hit it at full blast on the ox, the second 30 seconds hit, it was too much, and it, it got yeah. to be disrespectful <laughs> where, you know, something like the Oscars does the same thing, but that music starts low and then builds and then builds and then builds up. You know, that that sure. happens. So Yeah, it's because it's like unchecked, you get what happened last year. And here's the thing. I understand that Christopher Judge was just wept up in emotion and what was in the moment. And I understand that going unchecked, no, I, you know, he just kept pushing. And he really should have had the to be like, okay, well, they're trying to get me off stage. But he was wrapped up in the moment. I can understand that. Yeah. But it's funny because like minutes you, is too long. But. Yeah, eight minutes is too long. And so you look at that and you go, well, you know, that doesn't mean that the solution is to play someone off as soon as they get to start making a point. Right. And that sucks because it, it, it is, and it feels bad because, like, can you imagine the Asterian actor who went up there after Chris Judge made his joke about talking for eight minutes and then he gets, he starts getting played off 30 seconds in? And yeah. it's like, bro, you let him talk for eight minutes. What the fuck? And even and, he, you know, I like, remember, it, it feels like a disproportionate response. Yeah, and you, you know. could tell that they were like, oh, shit. Because I feel like even he, once that music started playing, I feel like there was that moment where he like looked around and was like, oh, okay. And then moved on quick, you know. I think there needs to be that balance of, okay, let them talk, let, their have, let them have their moments. But then again, it's a different show. And here's the thing, you can't do D- this Different as, to what, out of curiosity? It's different than what it is right now because it's called the Game Awards and they do give mm-hmm. out awards for games, but it's it's a marketing event. And sure. like I said, people are coming the, for the announcements. The biggest way you can tell is the Dice Awards have 47,000 views. The Game Awards, 6.6 6 million, right? Sure. So mm-hmm. j- there needs to be a better balance of it, but... I do think at a certain there does need to be some rushing, and I do think that a lot of the people who did ex- make acceptance speeches probably weren't as upset as everyone else watching because they knew they had thirty seconds. So you know, thirty seconds goes fast, as every woman will tell us. But, <laughs> um, you know, so I think there was that that disconnect of Jeff was Jeff listens too much. And I think he just needs to have the confidence to go, no, I'm fucking Jeff Keeley. Hideo Kojima and Jordan Peele are here. I'm going to let Sven talk for more than 30 seconds, you know? And and even then, it's like, you don't really want to say that all awards are equal, but they're you not. also don't want to, because they're not. So part of you wants to be like, at least let the game of the year winner have more than the 30 seconds. And, and he just didn't get 100%. it. And that just feels, that feels wild. But it also, I think the bigger thing that happened for me was that uh, you're, you're correct. I do think that part of Jeff, the problem is that Jeff 
over listens. He over allows like it's good to hear feedback and to adjust as to adjust to what you still think is what you want from your show while still trying to be mindful of critique that you've gotten. And the thing is, it's like critique can often make you change your own mind about what you want your show to be. Sure. But I think that you can go too far and you can let other people genuinely just replace what you want your show to be and you can cross too far where you've you've essentially you've given up too much control even though you're you're still the person that is considered to be in control Mm -hmm. um so with that said i think the biggest highlights of the disparity of the event came from things like every year kojima gets like more time than anyone and i love kojima and i understand that but i don't think there was really any reason that the OD section of that should have taken seven minutes. It just, it was too much. And it, and it's, it's a good example. And, and it probably was longer than seven minutes. I'm actually trying to be reasonable here and say like, they showed the trailer. Then they had Kojima come out by nature of Kojima having a language barrier. They have to send a translator. Then you have Jordan Peele minutes. come out and no wrong. Great. Great. I like seeing Jordan Peele out there. It was a cool announcement, but it highlights the fact that Jeff Keighley's friend, Hideo Kojima, gets 10 minutes to talk about a game that wasn't shown anything besides some fucking facial capture stuff. That's cool. I mean, yeah, everyone loves Kojima. You want to see what you get, but then it feels like an even more of a slap in the face when Kojima got to talk 10 minutes about something that we really don't know anything about. And yet the guy who just made what was considered to be the best game of the year got 30 seconds to talk about what hundreds of people had to do to make that a reality. He did. It's, it is, Mm -hmm. it's it's like watching hypocrisy and you're right. It is a marketing event. I understand that. And I really try and let that really shape as much as I'm perceiving this as I am, but there is a level to where it's like, okay, it is still an awards show. And if you're going to call it the Game Awards, the expectation comes that there or will be awards. And if you're going to try and give them this status that these awards are important, I don't think that you can rattle off five awards in a row in probably about a minute and 15 seconds and then move on to the next reveal. I think that there's... There is a balance because it's it's the same thing. I think people were like, well, they're spending too long on awards. So he goes, cool, we're just going to give half of them away during the pre-show and the other half are just going to be read off really quickly besides the most important ones that we deem as to, as important. And it just feels like there's a big <clears throat> disconnect between that. It's, it's unfortunate, but it's like if the awards are taking up too much time, maybe do less awards. <laughs> that sounds bad, but it's like realistically, maybe do less awards because... I guess I just don't see the problem with giving out a bunch of awards at once. Like, I don't see why it matters. This is, I think context matters. And what I'll say is that Jeff is on multiple occasions tried mentioning that this is supposed to be like the Oscars of gaming. And in many ways it is because the Oscars does a lot of the same thing that's happening here. But I think that the Oscars does it with a lot more, uh, (laughs) you know like they've they've gotten to a point where they've better balanced it and as someone who's not super into the oscars and doesn't really pay a ton of attention to them that industry is a lot older and has a lot has had a lot longer of time to establish how something like that goes that's part of it the medium itself is inherently different that's part of it uh 
But I think that the biggest disservice that Jeff is doing is he's trying to compare this thing and say that he wants it to be like the Oscar video games when that's not really the show he's making. And that's okay. But I think he needs to really go about saying like, hey, I don't want this to be the Oscars of gaming because the Oscars carries a different type of expectation than what you're getting here. I also think, and maybe this will be my rant, but... I think the biggest problem why this will never be the Oscars of gaming is I think the gaming industry really showed its ass on this one, in my opinion. Like, especially the freaking out about Christopher Judge's joke. Mm-hmm. Like, that is milk toast shit for the Oscars. Ricky Gervais, I don't remember if this was the Oscars or the Golden Globes, but Ricky Gervais was on the Oscars stage calling fucking Harvey Weinstein and the people in that room pedophiles. Yep. And that was, that was the Oscars and people couldn't handle my speech was longer than call of duty. That's why this will never be the Oscars because there's, you can't, you have to, it's the same. This is all the same stuff as roasting, right? Oh, it was the golden globes. I'm sorry. That's, that's, but that's worth they Noting, had they yes. had someone on stage poking fun, and they do that even if it's not that Ricky Gervais segment. You yeah, know? sure, it, it, it's, it's poking fun, fun at other. the people in the industry, like it's it's industry specific, right? And then you have people like, well, he knew it happened behind the scenes, so he shouldn't have made that joke. And he's like, dude, your Call of Duty campaign was three hours long. Like, take the joke. And you would think that the people in those positions would be like, yeah, management really screwed the pooch on this one. I'm glad that people recognize that. But no, it's, oh, I wish he hadn't made this joke. You know, it's just people should be able to poke fun at each other. Someone should have been on that stage making fun of Larian that you can fuck a bear in their video game. That should have been, (laughs) someone should have been saying that. And it should have been Sam Lake presenting an award to Larian and doing a speech in front of it, doing a monologue, talking about the industry. But instead, Christopher Judge makes one joke and proves that we can't do it. You know, Jeff Keeley listens to the feedback from uh, probably just last year and shortens it. And now everyone's mad at Jeff Keeley because he was disrespectful. Yeah, everyone's I excited to see Kojima. The, the interesting thing about what you're saying is that what what you're really getting to the bottom of is that there's something going on in the air in the industry. And I think, I, I don't really know that I can say what is causing it, but the industry is both too self-serious while also being not serious enough all at once. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like the the event highlights that the games industry does not see itself with as much stature as something like the Golden Globes or the Oscars because it, it's dressed entirely different. It's dressed like a it's dressed like the music awards, and uh, <coughs> then you have like the Oscars and the Golden Globes, which are far more classy, while still having this air of fun to them because of the things like having a host. Um, that constantly makes jokes. And then you go to this thing and you look and it's like, so, okay, so they're not serious enough because they don't want to be seen that way. But then the moment anybody cracks anything that could be considered an offensive joke over a three-hour Call of Duty campaign from one of the biggest games in the world that made more money than anything. So why does it matter? Right. And people get butthurt because they feel like, well, the thing I made got laughed at. Okay. Christopher Judge got laughed at for a heartfelt performance and a fucking great video game. Okay. That's what it is. Yeah. Like we understand that, but that 
he took it in stride, you know? Even last year, he was doing a pretty good job of taking it in stride. As soon as it was done on Twitter and people were trying to blow him up, he was making jokes towards himself at that point. He knew what right. happened. It's So it feels know. dumb to have that happen because it feels like you can't even take modest critique without getting ass hurt. And that's a really good it, – it's like a macro view of all the small things that happen with the online nature of a video game well, culture even, where it's like the smallest critique has got to be that you're shitting on something. That's why I had to pr- – I felt a need to preface the fact that talking about the game awards – in good faith of the things that we thought were good and bad is going to be viewed as someone being like, you had something bad to say about the Game Awards. This is bullshit. I can't say something positive about Xbox without being an Xbox shill. Can't say anything negative about PlayStation without being an Xbox shill. You, you, it's stupid. Yeah, it's And really- that is that is something that's very specifically aimed at gaming. And I guess the people who enjoy gaming, because you don't really see that to that degree in other industries, not like gaming. No, and... It even goes to, and I, I. It seemed to me like you're gonna have some takes on this, so maybe I have a bad take. But even the hand wringing about world famous A list ass actors being there and being like, "This is why are they here? What do you mean why are they here? Do you know how much cachet the gaming industry gets because Matthew McConaughey's there? Here's the thing: my dad adores Matthew McConaughey, so. If when Exodus comes out and I go, hey, you want to play this game that has Matthew McConaughey in it? He probably will. The sure. last game my dad played was Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2 in 2002 or whatever year that came in. Right? Wait, so the, P- the, the PS1 one? He played the, it on, P- we played it on a laptop, but. Okay, I got yeah, you. Yeah, Hot Pursuit. You know, and I get it. Like, Anthony Mackie was cringe. Like, Clearly trying to, be fair, to he, get a. He also repeat. made sense to be there, though. Because one hundred percent. But I'm not saying that you have to make sense to be there. I just for for the people's arguments about actors being there, Anthony Mackie doesn't really play in in the same way because he was there during the. Well, but then who does? Because all the talks about Matthew yeah. McConaughey was in Exodus. Was there because of a game? Yeah, right. Timothy Chalamet, sure, but out of the three, he has the most cachet in the industry. That is and modded controller has, 360. Like what? And are we talking he was also the most subtle of all the three of them, right. or of and, all the ones that came about. Yeah, I was actually he was, surprised. He, he he was just on stage being like, "Hey, here's the game." And he was the one everyone was like, oh, I, the uninterested Timothy Chalamet. Who gives a fuck? That's Timothy, Timothy Chalamet. He's in the marquee movie of the of December, which as someone who works in the movie theaters, I can tell you that's the biggest movie of fucking December. So yeah. what are you upset about? If yeah. you want to be taken seriously, act like adults, take a joke and realize that that event should be. If that event ever wants to get to the Oscars, you know who needs to be hosting that event? Fucking Timothy Chalamet or Kevin Hart Comedians. or Ricky Gervais. Yeah, somebody. Dude, I would actually kill. I would kill for the Game Awards hosted by Ricky Gervais. The thing is, is that I think that that's really the difference. Is that the Game Awards is too much of Jeff's baby for him to ever let it go and let someone else host it? Because since he's the host, but also the showrunner. He has this tie together. I don't think he wants to remove himself from that hosting role. And I don't mind him as a host. I think he's fine. But the thing of it is, is that part of the reason the Oscars and all these things act a lot differently is because the person who is running the show behind the scenes is not the one hosting. No. And and that's the thing. I feel like that disconnect is actually healthy 
because it allows you to step back and view criticism in a lot different of a way because you're not looking at the criticism from, oh, well, I was also actively part of the show. And then you start to feel like, well, that criticism is pointed at me as a performer as well. You don't need that. You you just need to be able to make a best decision for an event. And that's how I think I would change the show. Right. And I think for the, to better it, I would not say Jeff doesn't host, but Jeff can host. But how about you give an award? You like, you give Sam Lake, you give Remedy best direction for Alan Wake, too. Right. And you have all this planned out. Jeff knows who's winning before. So why can't Sam Lake come up there, give a speech, have a conversation, and go, oh, by the way, there's a world premiere? And then walk off the stage. And then Jeff goes, that was really cool. Here's the next presenter. The game, the this, now we're giving away best audio design. And then who, who won that? Baldur's Gate 3? No, Hi Fi Rush. The guys from Hi Fi Rush come out and they go, Thank you so much. You know, thank you to Microsoft. Thank you to Phil Spencer. Thank you to Game Pass. You know, whatever they want to thank. And then they go, World premiere. And then they walk off the stage or they give a speech and they monologue and they have fun. That's the way to do it. You just have to balance both. This is all yeah. planned. So you can tell Sean Murray, hey, buddy, we're going to show your game. So why don't you give away the award for, I don't know, game of the year? And you go, I'm here to give out the award for game of the year. And I'm here to make lofty promises and ha ha ha. And in 10 years after 2026, when this comes out in 2036, we're going to be talking about how this is best ongoing game and joking around. And then here it is. And then it comes yeah. down and then it goes, the game of the year goes to Larian. Larian can come up and go. We're super happy to give the, to win the game of the award, and now to end the show, here's a special presentation from Capcom, and it's over. Why, like, just plan the event out better? That's sure. all it is. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Chris, I'm. I think that's a great spot to end it. I agree with most of what you just said, and I've interjected anywhere where I think it's different. So, yeah, I, I think the show still has plenty of room to grow, but I also want to make it clear that I'm not using that to try and. Uh, <laughs> This is really not an indictment of Jeff. It's I thought just, the show was great this year. It's so. the, yeah, I, I thought so as well. I think it's the growing pains of a show. I, I do somewhat agree with the very surface level comparison that some people have given of like, it feels like the show in some forms is regressing a little bit more back to the old spike game awards that people often critiqued for not caring enough about blah 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 i understand the comparisons uh but the reality is is you got to try a lot of things and uh change a lot of things to eventually hit the where you want to be and the real truth of this is that this game this is what is this the 10th game awards or no i'm not sure was the first no. one 15 20 so i think this was like the eighth 20 this is either the eighth or the ninth yeah, something. So, like that. point being is that yeah, this has been going on for a while. That's true, but they're they're learning, and I I do think that across the board, the show has mostly continued in a positive trajectory. Um, and this was still a good show, even with any kind of criticisms we may have around it. Uh, but Chris, I would be remiss if we didn't get to this very simple question. I think um, it's simple, but I'm also curious to see where you land on it because it's simple, but it's easy to be like, oh, damn. What is? So, Stingray X, one of our longtime friends and patrons, says, what was your greatest gaming accomplishment this year? And this feels like a great time to talk about this because everybody's been starting to do their gaming wrap-ups, uh, which I've all, I thought was weird because it's there's like three weeks of the month, <laughs> of the month left. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, you're not going to play shit else in December. Fuck you. Um, so, 
what has been your greatest accomplishment in gaming this year? Um, that's fairly easy for me. Uh, the Witcher Three Platinum. <laughs> that was one of my uh, my white whales, and I got it. So I was hyped on that. So this sounds really weird, and I'm sure someone's gonna be like, "What?" My greatest achievement in gaming this year is that I took a very big step back from uh, the current AAA <clears throat> sphere of gaming and allowed myself room to recalibrate what that felt like to me and come back in a much healthier way. And so this is a duel. It's been the fact that I've been, I was able to step away and I was able to really focus and enjoy a lot of time on older platforms, enjoying older games I had never played, as well as a few games I've loved in the past and getting to replay them with a, with my current mindset around games. Uh, so the, the, the PlayStation recap completely ignores Vita, apparently. Uh, <laughs> which is fucking so sad. That is fucking mind-bogglingly sad. Because all they're doing is pulling information from the fucking trophy data. Yeah. It's not that hard to be like, hey, I know that we can't calculate hours played on Vita, but we can at least, we know that you played the game. <laughs> and so, I remember it said that I got 25 Platinums this year. Chris, I'm at 48. 40, 49. Holy shit, you've hit 50 Platinums this year almost. About to, yeah, I'm about to. I'm, I'm hopefully Superliminal's 50. So point being, <coughs> congrats. That's I, nice. I, I spent a lot of time and got a lot of Platinums on Vita for games that I've been meaning to get to in some capacity, and it was a great time doing it. So that sounds like a weird thing, but I actually encourage everyone to occasionally dip out from the FOMO, dip out, from what's going on and just do what your heart is telling you you want to do and then reconnect with gaming and see how much differently you view everything. I don't, I think if I wouldn't have done that, most of the games I've ended up loving in this latter half of the year, I don't think I would have been able to love. Yeah. It's, uh, interesting you say that because I've had the same experience specifically this week where, I was really excited for Avatar, uh, Pan, whatever, Frontiers yeah. of Pandora, and it looks fucking looks good, awesome. Yeah. And I really want to play it. And I had that moment today where I was looking at it in the PS app, and I'm like, no, I'm going to go home and play Grand Theft Auto 4. <laughs> I don't need this. I got to play GTA 4. Got to go talk to Playboy X with a barrel of a gun. You know, I was super excited. So I, I've been, I feel that because I've been the same yeah. way recently. Yeah, I, I don't think that we give ourselves enough credit that it's very easy to get burned out with the what's happening right now because there tends to be waves in the industry. And I think one of the waves that was very obvious this year is very large games, very dense games that are pretty demanding. Um, and we saw a lot of those this year. And I think it would have been really easy to get lost in that. Like, I'm excited for Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. I don't think I could have been excited for that if I didn't drop out of gaming because it would have just been one more game that was doing the same big overall <coughs> with too much shit to do that would have felt like it was crushing me. And now it doesn't. And that's great because I get to be excited about it and be like, cool, what, is they, what are they doing here? I'm not a huge Avatar movie fan, but potentially if, if you're doing what I think you're doing in the game, this looks like this could be really cool. So I'm excited to approach you the same way I approached RoboCop, right? Like, What are you doing over here? 
Okay. I'm excited. <laughs> Let for me you see to pick what you got then. going on. <laughs> yeah, I'll pick it up probably in a probably in a couple of weeks. Yeah. That'll that'll be. I'm I'm gonna play a couple more small games. I've been enjoying going. I think what I've really learned this year is that you have to pace games, or at mm. least I do. And I don't know if that's an age thing or responsibilities catching up to me thing. But it's like if I play a longer game, I need to play a couple of short games that don't feel as committing. Like I I don't have to commit so much, and then I can commit again to something bigger. Brett, Which is why good. are you saying all those words and refusing to play the five-hour video <laughs> game I sent you a year <laughs> ago? <laughs> that, keep in mind, I would like returned eventually so I can put them on my shelf. I will absolutely return to you. I don't, don't worry. No, you're not allowed to return them until you play until them. Until I beat it. I know it. Well, it's hold on. The only one I have hours. left. The only one I have left is Wanted. And that's the one I want you to play. <laughs> Fine, Chris. I will play it soon. I don't know if it'll be this year. It soon. may be my uh, hold on. It may be my first game of the 2024 trophy competition. Okay. That's fair, because you can get that platinum. It's an easy <laughs> platinum. I got it. Hey. Never say never. It could be one of my final for the year. It should be. It's like a 10-hour platform. I'm within like earshot of, you know, like I, I I can just, if I like sniff, I can smell first place. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It, look, Wanted's a day, and it's less than a day if you use a guide. So like just play the <laughs> goddamn game. All right, Chris, thank you for joining me. Everybody, thank you for giving us a, a week off and not worrying too much about it. We'll get this up and out and about. We want to thank everybody who uh, listens to the show every week. If this has been your first time with the show, we hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to follow us on social media and be part of the community's take, which we did not have this week, is where we end up going to social media. We ask you a question uh, about what's going on in current gaming or something we've talked about recently and get your opinion on it. And then we share it on the uh, following episode. You can find us on uh, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us in Facebook at the group Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast, or you can click the description below whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on podcast services to join the Discord where you can join us in our day-to-day talks with not only Chris and I, but a number of our other friends, listeners, and patrons. Uh, speaking of our patrons... You can go to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month to help support the show, which we are also so thankful for our patrons for doing. And as a thank you to them, while we still have a reasonable number that we can do it, we shout them out at the end of every episode. So without further ado, I'd like to shout out Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, Easton328, Aztec King, Leechion69, The Lord Corgi, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sa- Sean Sanders. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>